get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Baseball is a thinking man sport. Well hit into right center at the wall. Gone! Tyler O'Neill, opposite field home run. O'Neill again, out to center. At the track, at the wall, he's done it again. Goodbye. Two for two. Two solo shots. 3-1 pitch. Barnhart, ground ball. Goldie will take it himself, and the Cardinals hold on. They win it 5-2, and a weekend sweep against Cincinnati. Not a bad weekend for the Cardinals. They found their way back into the winning column three straight times, swept the Cincinnati Reds. Cardinals now 11-10 on the year. Back in action again tonight. Cardinals versus Phillies opening up the first of a four-game set. Wayno on the mound against Zach Wheeler with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. Guys, that was the Cardinals formula. We finally saw it over multiple games in a row. You got good starting pitching. You set up your bullpen to, we'll get into this a little later, have some shaky appearances, but to close things out. And your top four in the lineup was spectacular. That is the formula for the Cardinals moving forward. It was what we were talking about all offseason. You got to have good pitching. You got to have the top four in your lineup produce. Alex, we finally saw it consistently over the weekend. Huh. And it happened when they did what we've been talking about, putting somebody in the two spot. Huh. Oh, so you're telling me Dylan Carlson, who has an OPS nearing 1,000 on the year, he can actually hit... When he bats second. You're telling me. He doesn't suddenly like self-combust. That if you put two guys who can get on base in front of the best hitters in your lineup, that you're going to score more runs early? Ding. Huh. Oh, I was wondering what we were going for. What are you sleeping <laughs> over there, Tanner? What are you I'm falling asleep my head with was, your... My head was blown by the knowledge that we had going on Sleeping here? with your hot takes? No, this is exactly what you needed to see. And I get what they were doing with Dylan Carlson. I understand you're starting the season off, putting them lower, protecting them a little bit. Don't shake your head. I know what they're doing. No, you don't. And Nobody understood done. it. It was silly. No, it was were silly They were protecting him. They were letting him kind of get his feet wet. Does it look like this guy needs protected? At the beginning of the season, it kind of did. 
I mean, yeah, you need he, that Matt Carpenter protection. Yeah, you needed Matt Carpenter hitting in front of him. <laughs> he had like two rough games yeah. who were like, oh, yeah, it makes sense that he's batting eighth. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. But look, look, that that was one story of it. But it goes back. It goes beyond those top four. For sure. We, we, we could talk about the top four guys getting on base and scoring runs. That's that's going to happen. It's what happens behind Nolan Arenado. And look what happened this weekend. Paul DeYoung had success. Tyler O'Neill has success yesterday. Finally, I think we are done with the Matt Carpenter experiment. So that's nice to see. But even the bottom of the lineup, Justin Williams was getting on. Andrew Kisner was getting on. When your lineup, and look, you can't get this every night, but when you're getting consistent at-bats and better approaches to the plate rather than swinging at the first pitch from five, six, seven, eight, nine, you're going to have success offensively. That's right. I said nine, Tanner. The pitcher can hit. Yeah. Woohoo! KK with his first career hit. Hey, did He's you got see wheels? Did you see he, he was going? Moving. He went balls out to that first base. Balls out, man. Well, the ball was out and he had to beat the ball to first base. He it went was actually out. in. Well, it was out though. It was out of the first out base. Out of the reach. Yeah, it was out of the reach. The who was, yeah, the balls were out of reach for the pitcher, so KK had to go all the way. Great point. Thank you. Yeah, to me, one through four, you're always going to get this. It's always going to be what that five through nine does. Because we expect Edmund, Carlson, Goldie, Arnado to be on base, doing something productive in a game. Maybe one of them's having an off day or something like that, but it does come down to five through nine. And as you mentioned, Alex, we saw five through nine play well this weekend, and that's what leads to the sweep. I mean, if you don't have any production from DeYoung or O'Neal or Williams, then your lineup, it's going to be fine. You might be able to score a run with that one through four, but that five through nine is going to be the deciding factor in what this offense does. Uh, what happened to the big red hitting machine? I thought the Cincinnati Reds were about to break every record in the offensive category this I season. I actually think that is why I was even more impressed with the Cardinals pitching this weekend is because of the opponent. It's not like they were going up against the weak hitting Milwaukee Brewers. Chicago Cubs. Basically any other team in the division, right? The Cardinals had really good starts out of KK, Gantt, Flaherty against what had been one of, if not the best offense in the National League to that point in the season. KK, five and two thirds, gives up uh, one earned run, struck out eight, walked zero. Yeah, I thought we said he wasn't a strikeout pitcher. What happened? He looked great over the weekend. Gantt, six innings. Tanner even texted us and said he thought that John Gant looked good. That's when you know it was an impressive outing. True. Gave up zero earned runs, big number to me, only two walks. That is big for John Gant. And then Jack Flaherty yesterday looked outstanding. I mean, he looked like he had potentially no hit stuff yesterday. Ended up seven innings, three hits, zero walks. Once again, that's the big number. One earned run allowed, came on that homer. In total over the weekend, boys, the starting pitchers went 18 and two thirds. They gave up two earned runs. That left just eight innings for the relievers. That, that is the formula. It's something that far too often this season we have seen the opposite of, the inverse of those numbers, and for the starting pitchers to get it done, that's why we saw such a successful weekend, especially against a good offense. That made me feel really good about it. It made me feel great. I mean, especially to have that solidity with your rotation and confidence in it, like that gives you a lot of opportunities down the stretch here. And look, you're starting to stretch a 17 games, and it's going to be... It's going to be intriguing to see how they manage that staff along with the bullpen because there's no days off to where you can't overwork no guys in the days bullpen. Off. Is that a chant? Yeah, it's a Bill Belichick chant. No days off. I don't, I don't, no I don't, days I don't off. like the New England Patriots or the Bill Belichick, BK. Sorry. Apologize. You in Kansas City. Uh, oh, 
Anyway, <laughs> I don't know how that has anything to it's do. It's always, you just find a way to tie it into Kansas City. There's no Kansas City tie. You find a way to tie it into Kansas City. It's going to be important, though, to see how they get through 17 straight games because you're not going to have perfection from your rotation, right? You're not going to get seven innings of one or two run baseball. So how do they adapt to that? Now they're doing the six-man rotation. Frankly, last week I was fine with it. Now I'm not so happy about oh, it. Yeah. Join the band here. Now I'm not Let's so go. happy about it because I don't want to break the rhythm right now. This Thank is, you. These are feeling good. It's the same thing they've been doing all year, guys. No, it's They're not. Get- no, it's not. Every fifth day. They were every sixth day, and now guess what they are? No. Every sixth day. No, no, no. Stick with go to back. Go yeah. to fifth day. After every, every fifth day. day. Come you on. don't want to ruin the. Come on, BK. Oviedo could come out on Wednesday, have a blow up, and then we're going to be questioning everything again. So I I will not be doing that. I'm sure you guys have played right, a hindsight as 2020 game and be totally unfair. To Why the are Cardinals. you a get off my lawn guy, BK? Jeez. Yeah, seriously. That's my role on the show. I'm yep. the get off my lawn guy. It's like you have an AARP membership. Yeah, he does. I saw it. He was showing it with his cigar and his Mai Tai earlier. Oh, are you smoking your cigars in the building again? No. We've had this conversation. No, outside multiple the building. Times. In the oh, parking good. lot. Good. It was an enjoyable Sunday afternoon. I'll say that. I had a couple of uh, dirty martinis. Nice. Maybe a couple of cigars. Oh, BK Felt likes great. it dirty. <laughs> Are we ready to have a conversation about the division again, boys? We Are we ready to reassess things where the Cardinals stand right now? Because you're coming off of a really impressive weekend against the Reds, who, by the way, don't look now, find themselves at the very bottom of the National League division standing. Yeah, take that, Cincinnati. They got off to a really hot start. Sorry. It's a little aggressive. They have lost seven straight. They have lost 11 of their last 14. They are about to travel to L.A. to play, in my opinion, the best team in baseball against the Dodgers for their next three games. If they get swept, they very well could in this month six, maybe seven games below 500 by the end of the month. You guys ready to reassess kind of where things stand within this division and where the Cardinals are and definitely where the Reds are at this point? So you're telling me the Reds aren't going to be the base-stealing, bat-flipping son of a guns that Amir Garrett said they were going to be? I didn't see a whole lot of that this weekend. They, they, they didn't might get on base still, enough. They might still do some of those things. <laughs> it's hard to do that when you hit a home run when you're being shut out in a game and you're losing six straight. But bat flip, go ahead. No, I'm not ready to reassess because it's where I thought it was. The Cardinals were the top team in the NL Central. We knew the Brewers were going to compete with them. Um, the Pirates are going to be the bottom team. And then right there, it's Cincinnati and Chicago battling out for the third place spot. I think that clarified itself more this weekend than what it did the first couple of weeks of the season because Cincinnati looked like they were going to run away with it. And I think uh, our guy JP Morosi, who is ghosting me right now. So JP, I know you're listening. Please just respond to my email and come on the show with us. I'm about to send out the, uh, the desperation call. I guess that is the desperation call. He said it's the Brewers division to lose now with the pitching. I still disagree. I think it's the Cardinals division to lose, but no, I'm not ready to reassess because it's right where I thought it was. Yeah, I, I'm still not going to rule out Cincinnati if they get swept just because I think that offense will keep them in play for a while. Sure, they're pitching clearly a question mark. Their bullpen's not very good. So, but You Cincinnati, think they're going to finish above third in the division? Who, Reds? I think the Reds could, yeah. I, I think, think they could, too. I think they could finish that above the, the, the Cubs. I think they think third. I'm. Do you think that there's any chance that they finish first or second? Oh, is no. what I'm asking. No, third place. I'm, I'm not going to roll out second or first for the Reds yet. I'd be willing to take you up on that. Well, I'm not going to well, put money hey, on it. Hey, but he's I, lost. He's lost forty dollars because of Matt Carpenter in the last couple of weeks. Yes, I'll go. On, Carp. <laughs> Carp, you owe me forty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go sixer of your choice. 
on the Reds finishing above second in the division. Second or first in the division. Say that again. A 60? sixer of your choice. Six pack of your choice. Oh. Ooh, seltzers for Alex. Zwickle for Tanner. Okay. <laughs> right. I think they sell those in four packs, but we'll get you a couple of them. The Reds will not finish top two in the division. Oh, I'm with you on that one. I think it's Brewers, Cardinals, those two, and then everybody else right now. And I actually continue to believe the Cardinals are still the most well-rounded team in this division. And I think we saw that this weekend. You saw the base running, and it wasn't wasn't as exciting as you'd like to see, but hey, hey we, got base we saw base steals. You saw first to third a couple of yeah. times. They looked good on the base paths. Defense was outstanding outside of a couple of situations in the outfield. We'll Guys, our outfield's going to get themselves killed. What? what why fine. are you killing people? I'm not. They're going to kill them. They're going to run into each other. <laughs> Scott Hurst, can you Scott imagine? Hurst looked so angry on that play at Tyler O'Neill. <laughs> Well, he should have been thrilled that he didn't run into Tyler O'Neill. He could have died. Tyler O'Neill like, would have launched him over the center field fence. You know, I, I played wiffle ball against my cousin who's like 300 pounds once, and I ran into him, and it was like running into a brick wall, and that's what Scott Hurst would have done when he ran into the Canadian Hulkster. It was like me as I walk past Jamie Rivers in the hallway sometimes, yeah. and he just like throws the shoulder. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't do. walk by don't Jamie. Yeah. I He's end got up a in sign. the next hole down. Jamie's got a sign on his back that says, don't walk into me. That's a good point. In all seriousness, though, I think that the Cardinals are the most well-rounded team in this division. I think the Brewers have a little better pitching. I think the Cardinals are a little better offensively. And I think that overall, I will take the Cardinals top to bottom, 1-26, to 26, over any other team in this division. Now, six months from now, six weeks from now, you tell me the place, and I think that the Cardinals will have the more well-rounded team. And I think we saw that finally over the weekend because they're starting to get healthy again. Tyler O'Neill changes this lineup a little bit. He's not going to consistently hit homers, but he can be a guy that gives you a threat at the bottom of the order. I think when you get Harrison Bader back, those outfield situations that we're talking about, I hope we have a little bit more of an appreciation for what Bader does out there as a traffic cop. That is meaningful. It does matter. And I do think you're going to see better outfield defense as a result with him out there. Hey, if the offense plays like this, then I think Harrison Bader should be playing because I think he and Justin Williams, it's a good one-two punch of that eight-hole hitter. Absolutely. He needs to be out there. I liked what we saw this weekend. I think we're going to see more of that moving forward. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's 11:13. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Plenty more to get into with the Cardinals throughout the day today. We've got Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She's going to join us up at 11:30. She's going to join us weekly, boys. Weekly Wu throughout the Cardinals season so katie will join us coming up here in about 15 minutes or so i like woo weekly weekly hits with woo no we'll we'll workshop that a little bit larry boa former phillies player coach and manager will join us to help us preview the philly series coming up at noon coming up next though that was a over my dead body game from ryan o'reilly we got to talk about it next on 101 espn this is the bk and ferrario podcast now here's bk and ferrario We want to make the playoffs it's got to be on us and and then everyone else follows so it's it's good we you know we stepped up found a way to win but uh yeah a lot of work left a lot of things to clean up for sure o'reilly tried to center the score it goes off the skate of Devontae, and that's a goal for ryan o'reilly and a great effort out of the corner o'reilly stick handling shoots he scores the captain has two and he's led the ship right back into coma. It's a 2-2 game as O'Reilly has tied it up.
Chips for O'Reilly. He gets it out. He's got an empty net ahead. O'Reilly scores! If you've got a hat, chuck it in your radio. A hat trick for Ryan O'Reilly. Bring out the Zamboni. Blues get a 5-3 win over Colorado. Jump over Arizona for that fourth playoff spot. We'll see what happens with the Coyotes later on today. Big one for the Blues over the weekend. They beat the Colorado Avalanche, as I predicted, by a final score of 5-3. to three. They are 2019-6 and six on the year. And, guys, that was a Ryan O'Reilly over my dead body game. Hold on. Say that again. The Avalanche. Big one for the Blues over the weekend. They win 5-3. to three. You and meet, man. What Colorado? Are you? Colo- no, it's Colorado. Colorado. Meet and I had this discussion on Thursday. It's Colorado. Definitely Colorado. No, it's yeah, not Colorado. Colorado. No. I hate to be the bear of bad news, Alex, but uh, you can believe that. You would be wrong. Like those cranes. Okay, over my dead body, Ryan O'Reilly. The Blues were down 2 to nothing within the first three minutes of the game against arguably the best team in the NHL. I mean, at worst, Top one three. of the three best mm-hmm. teams in the NHL. Um, they took a couple of bad penalties. They end up down 2 nothing. And then Ryan O'Reilly said, over my dead body. It ain't happening tonight. I am not losing this game, and you guys can follow me. I'm wearing the C for a reason. I'm taking things into my own hands. I'm sick of this. (laughs) We are going to go out there and win. And that's exactly what he did. He literally found a way to will the Blues to victory, despite the fact that there were moments when it looked like there was no way they were going to be able to find a way to win that game. Guys, Ryan O'Reilly has 20 goals and 42 points this season. Have you looked at his numbers relative to the rest of the league right now? Yeah. It's insane. He had 12 goals last year in 71 games. He has 20 this year in 45 games. I I can't even begin to describe the type of season that Ryan O'Reilly has put up, despite the fact that things around him at all times seemingly are crumbling Alex, that was as impressed as I've been with Ryan O'Reilly in his career here in St. Louis, and that's saying a heck of a lot considering what he's already accomplished. He's an MVP this season, without question. He's the MVP of this team, and you could put him into conversation. I don't think he wins it, but I'd say he's probably top 10 in consideration this year for how he's played because without Ryan O'Reilly, this team would probably be the worst team in the Honda West Division right now. Absolutely. Without him, you're not winning at least 20 games, which, by the way, you've won 20 games, so that's where this team is at. But before Before I do O'Reilly, let me say this. Before he was able to do the, hey, let's follow me, boys, that Jordan Bennington save that he made, making sure it wasn't three to nothing in the first period, was the biggest save of that game. We talk about momentum all the time, and I talked about this on the post game. That right there was a goal that has gone in when the team was going through that seven game losing streak. And that right there, if that goal would have gone in, would have been the head dip situation. He makes that save, but you're right. Go back and watch the, the 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 game if you haven't watched it. O'Reilly, after that second goal went in, he mother-blanked himself on the ice and then skated to the bench, slammed the door shut, and he was cussing himself out for at least a good two minutes. He then proceeds to go onto the ice and basically makes that play happen himself. He strips the puck away from Kale McCarr on the board. He then skates it towards the net, going around two players, and then just puts the shot on net. Put pucks on net, boys. That's how you win. Craig Berube with the pregame on Saturday before he the, the game, spoke with the media, and he said, our leaders need to inspire. 
And you hear that and you're like, okay, well, what the hell does that mean? Our leaders need to inspire and maybe they don't inspire and the guys don't come on board. But what the leaders need to do is not make mistakes and go out there and make sure everyone's playing to the same compete level that they are. What Ryan O'Reilly did in that first period and frankly, the second and third, too, because he was huge in those penalty kills, allowing only one goal on five opportunities. That's the inspiration that Craig Berube was talking about. The problem now is you got to take what you just did, clean up the second period still, and carry it over because that's been the biggest fault for the Blues this season. Plus minus is a flawed stat, but it can tell you a story. And Ryan O'Reilly on the season is a plus 19 when he is on the ice, and that checks out with the eye test. Second on the Blues this year is Marco Scandella at half of that, a plus nine on the year. Ryan O'Reilly, when he's been on the ice, is literally twice as good as the next best player when it comes to his plus minus. And that sounds about right to me. The guy has been unbelievable, and there are multiple ways of leading a team, right? There are the rah-rah guys, and those guys are important. They're, it is it is important to have a guy that can go into the locker room and give you a good speech. You got to have those guys. You got to have guys that can keep the room light. You also need to have players that when they show actions, when they are out on the ice 45 minutes after practice ends, when they are putting together uh, the gritty type of performances on the ice, others will follow. And that's Ryan O'Reilly. And we knew that we've known this for a while now, But I thought that was the perfect encapsulation that game was for what Ryan O'Reilly is as a leader. Did he have a perfect game? No. As Alex said, there was a moment where they gave up the goal and O'Reilly's mother bleeping himself off of the ice. Which it was him that essentially led to the goal. It was the guy that was left in front of the net by himself. But the reason why I think O'Reilly has so much respect from his peers and certainly from our listeners, the viewers, Blues fans everywhere is because he takes that, he bottles it up, and then he uses that as fuel Mm -hmm. to make himself work that much harder. And so the guy that is already, at all times, the hardest worker on the ice, worked that much harder on Saturday night to find a way to make sure that the Blues beat a team that has lost in regulation once in their last 20 games. That wasn't just beating the Sharks or the Kings or whoever your other bottom feeder is, whether in this division or elsewhere. I was beating the Avs. And that wasn't a game that the Blues really needed to have to get back into this competition for the fourth spot in the West Division. That was huge. That's as big of a a moment. That's as big of a game as you could possibly expect out of your captain. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly what you need from him. And he... He never stops. And it's the same thing I can say for David Perron. It's the same thing I can say for Braden Shen and the same thing I can say for Jaden Schwartz. And no coincidence, those are the leaders that Craig Berube, quote unquote, said need to inspire. They never stop. Down by two goals, up by two goals. They're always continuing to push. It's a matter of getting everyone else on board and and fighting their way through those problems in the second and third period. And unfortunately, it's penalty problems, which is kind of putting the Blues into a situation. You know, O'Reilly said something, too, after the game that I thought was uh, important to take away from this one. And the crowd had an impact on that game on Saturday afternoon and O'Reilly spoke about it too, saying that it's like, Hey, that crowd never gave up. And they really didn't. I mean, it was loud after they were down two to nothing. The blues seem to respond well when they have crowd kind of impact, at least this season from what they've gone through these last couple of years. So all in all, it put together a solid performance. I think everyone on that roster said that things need to be better, but if you're going to take anything away from what took place Saturday, it's the fact that Ryan O'Reilly led the way 
And if you're the group of guys that playing behind him and saying, okay, he just did that himself. We need to start helping out. And I think you're going to get to that point because hopefully this is a confidence booster. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Blues versus Avalanche again tonight. Pre-game coverage with Alex beginning at 5 o'clock. So be sure to tune in for that. We will have more on the Blues throughout the day today, including the update on Pareko and Vince Dunn. It sounds like both are expected to be out tonight. We don't know how long they are going to be out for. So we'll get into that more as we go along here today. Coming up next, Cardinals Insider for the athletic katie Wu is going to join us for the first of her weekly appearance here on the show on 101 espn this is the bk and ferrario podcast now here's bk and ferrario it's time for the athletic insider report brought to you by the athletic where you can find smart in-depth st louis sports coverage for the diehard fan no ads no pop-ups just quality journalism from an all-star team of writers that's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Very happy to go out to the Brownie and Crouppen Celebrity Line for the first of what will hopefully be a weekly conversation with the Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She is Katie Wu. You can follow her on Twitter, at Katie J. Wu. Katie, we're thrilled to have you with us throughout the baseball season. How are you doing today? Hey, guys. Happy Monday. That was quite a, quite a great intro there. Uh, first time I've heard it. Loved it. So keep that up. <laughs> This is what we're here for. We're here to please here you to on pump Monday you up, morning. Katie. So, Katie, what'd you think about great. the what'd you think about the Cardinals weekend? A big sweep over the Reds. You know, I think it's exactly what the team needed on on all fronts. I don't think that there is a, a any facet of the game where you could look at them and be like, "Hey, you know, that's kind of similar to what we've been seeing." There's been an improvement on all around, whether it's the starting rotation, the offense, the fact that they were able to sweep the Reds, and I know the Reds are, are struggling a bit right now. But they were able to do that without Yachty for two games. That says a lot. Um, and I think this team right now is really clicking. Guys are finding their stride. Pitching looks really good. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's, a, it's a, a good time for a turnaround. It certainly seems like they're trending in the right direction right now. You know, last week, Katie, if we were to talk, people would probably be saying that the Cardinals might be the third best team in the NL Central with the Reds and uh, Brewers being in front of them. And then you get this weekend where the Reds are in the midst of a losing streak. You know, the Brewers are winning some games, but of course the Cardinals have turned it on. How do you view this NL Central now compared to the first couple of weeks of the season? You know what? It's funny. I was just reading uh, our athletic power rankings we release every Monday, and uh, Zach Buchanan, who covers the Diamondbacks, wrote that this is a a division that's going to take 162 games, possibly 163, to really shake out who the dominant team is, and and I think that's exactly it. If if the last three weeks haven't shown you, I think that it's very much going to be a four-way race all season long, Um, and you know, it is a long season. We talk about it all the time. It's only April, but you know, with the way the teams are projecting and with the way the division is expected to go, it almost seems like, you know, every game is really going to matter going down to that final stretch. So, you know, we said it before, before the season, we're saying it now, we'll probably say it in September. There is no clear front runner right now and there probably won't be. Katie Wu's joining us here on 101 ESPN. Katie, you mentioned the rotation, but I wanted to focus on the batting order because it was a topic of conversation going into the weekend, especially with Dylan Carlson finally getting the move up. He didn't spontaneously combust, which was wonderful, and he was great (laughs) in the two-hole. What did you see from him over the weekend that stood out to you? What has really remarked me about Dylan Carlson, and I'm glad you brought this up, because, you know, where he bats in the order is not at all a polarizing topic by, by any means. No, uh, no, not Cardinals fans no, at all. No, right? No, no, that doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> since 
since pretty much opening day, he has demonstrated this very veteran-esque plate approach. He works counts well. He makes pitchers make the right pitch, and if they mess up, he will reward he will reward himself. He's very patient. It's hard to remember this guy has you know played less than I don't know sixty games. It's when you see him in the two hole, he gets that extra level of protection hitting in front of Nolan and, and Goldie and Yachty and even Diaz has been starting to heat up. So he's getting more pitches to hit. So when you combine that with his plate approach and his discipline and the fact that teams have to pitch to him, otherwise they have a really strong three, four, five, six combo that really minus Yachty hasn't hit its stride yet. He's going to hit and he's going to deliver. And I'm, I was glad to see him take advantage of that opportunity. I think the two hole is a really good spot for him. He notches back-to-back three hit games. He gets on base. And if he's hitting behind Tommy Edmond, who has been just an absolute staple in the lineup as their leadoff guy, that's a very viable threat one through six. So, you know, I, I really, I, I like what I'm seeing from Dylan out of the two hole. Definitely. Uh, since we're on the topic of the batting order, Katie, I, I have to bring up the, uh, the name that I think plenty of Cardinals fans have voiced their opinions to you about. And that's Matt Carpenter. Uh, we heard John Mosellock talk uh, before the series started on Friday and he was very, uh, I don't want to say frustrated with the situation, but he talked to he yeah very honest. That's a great word. Um, Very honest about Matt Carpenter really not seeing as much playing time now that they got health in the outfield. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you know, not a polarizing topic at all with Carpenter. No (laughs) one has an opinion about him. Uh, And and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I just had this story hit our site live about 20 minutes ago. I don't even think I had a chance to tweet it out yet. Um, after Mo's comments on Friday, which were honest, right? That is, he was very candid. He was very honest. When, as a media perspective, that's all you ask for. Mm-hmm. He was in no way slighting Carpenter, or and, and no way trying to dig at, at Matt or trying to lay any low blows. That was absolutely not the the message that was being sent. It was an honest assessment of his performance, and his honest assessment has been that it's not good, which is very true. And there's all these statistics, right? We talk about it. We talk about the shift. We talk about hard hit percentage. We talk about barrel. We talk about the contract. Like, there's all these different elements to Carpenter that makes him so polarizing right now and so frustrating when he doesn't have the results that maybe the analytics say that he should. But in order to to kind of understand what's happening from his perspective, I thought the best way to do that was to just talk to him personally. So, I talked to him. That's on the story today. You can only find those quotes on The Athletic. And he was very also honest and very candid about what he's been going through, how he's been combating these changes, where he stands, how he accepts that he's probably going to have a lack of playing time. He's not going to get as many opportunities. There's so many different elements in baseball, right? So we can kind of get lost in this rabbit hole of all these different elements of just Matt Carpenter and just what Carp can do and what he's not doing. But I thought both parties, Mo's perspective, and Matt's perspective were, were very interesting in the fact that they were honest, they owned it, and nobody seems to know the right answer right now. And, and that's across the board. Schultz said it himself. He said, I don't know what else Carpenter can do in the national series. And that seems to be a reoccurring theme throughout the organization. Katie, and people can find that story over the, at The Athletic now. In your conversation with Matt, what did he say are the things that are – I don't know, I I guess frustrating him most because you're right. I mean, you look at how hard he's hitting the ball and it's what you would want from him. Uh, He's not pulling the ball as often as he previously did. And I know that's been a topic of conversation here in St. Louis before. So what are the things that he's seeing in your conversation with him that he said, you know, maybe this is something that I could change. Is there anything? You know, he I'm not sure if there's anything he could specifically change because I asked him, has there been like a subtle 
attempt to do something different. And, you know, we, we talk about it from a media perspective and definitely from a fan perspective. You know, why does he just go the other way? Why does he stop pulling the ball? And it, it's obviously not that simple. So he kind of went into the complexities of, of how hitting against the shift and trying not to be a, a pull hitter goes against everything he's ever learned as a hitter. This is a 11-year veteran. He's 35 years old. He has made a very respectable living doing what he does. At one time, he was very, very good at it. So it's not that he's not trying to do things different. You know, he's always coming into things with an open mind. He's trying to do anything he can to help the ball club, even if that is being relegated to a pinch hit role. It's the fact that the things that he is trying, that he is trying to improve on, haven't been yielding results. That's the most frustrating part. If you look at his numbers, his and I know we talk about this specific set of stats so much, but these are the stats that are supposed to project better results. You talk about his the his hard hit percentage and his barrel percentage and his average exit velocity, those are all so much higher than 2019 and 2020. He has definitely made the improvements and he's clearly seen the ball better when he hits it. So it's, it's again, it's this multidimensional thing of, okay, when he's hitting the ball, he's hitting it hard, he's squaring it up, it's going right at somebody. Um, and it's, again, it's not like he's pulling everything into the shift. He's definitely developed a little bit more of an all, not, not, not necessarily all spray, but he's hitting it to... to to the left side more than more than usual. So, but then you go into the whole element of, but that's only when he hits the ball. What happens when he strikes out? Because he's also among league leaders in strikeouts, right? So it's just this whole hodgepodge of different scenarios that, again, nobody seems to know the answer to. And I think that's the most frustrating part for everybody involved. Katie, uh, one more for me, and I wanted to ask you about the uh, the bullpen. We saw a little bit of a scare yesterday, although they did get through it and picked up the victory. But we have something here on BK and Ferrario called the Circle of Trust with uh, with some of these bullpen arms. And right now inside of it is Tyler Webb, Alex Reyes, Giovanni Gallegos, and Jordan Hicks. If you were looking at Reyes and Gallegos these last couple of games, would you keep them in the Circle of Trust? Reyes and Hicks. So I said. Oh, Gallegos. Oh, Reyes and Hicks. <laughs> Apparently I don't know the Circle of Trust, Katie. Reyes and Hicks, right? Um, yes, I would. It's Look, we have to remember that when the rotation wasn't projecting well and they weren't eating innings and they were you know, barely not even getting quality starts, the bullpen had to be maneuvered all over the place. They weren't using the bullpen when designed. They were do- using it when convenient, right? So all these guys had specific roles that they were set up for in spring and that all went out the window when the starting rotation couldn't log past five innings a night. And they were just throwing who was fresh, who's, who's available, go out there, eat some innings for us. Now that the rotation has turned it around in, in a very encouraging way, I must say, I don't think we're talking about John Gant enough. Um, we, we've seen the bullpen kind of go back to the, to the roles that they were initially supposed to be in. So maybe now the, the kind of rust that you see really early on is happening because they're now pitching in, in high leverage situations, guys like Hicks, guys like Reyes. We have to remember that Hicks also isn't being used conventionally in the way that he normally would. They're still, in a way, ramping him up. Right. So sometimes when he's going out there in, in games and it doesn't really matter, you know, obviously in a one run down in the ninth game, they're not going to do this. But when Hicks is out there, they're still ramping him up. They're still getting him comfortable with his four pitches. Like it's similar. Mike Schultz compared it to how starters build up their arm strength. So there's a lot of things that the pitching staff and, and the Cardinals are working on with their relievers that goes past just who has the eighth, who has the ninth. Right. And they're still obviously trying to incorporate the win. So a lot of different elements there. I'm not ready to, to write off any bullpen guys yet. I still think that's going to be their strongest facet of the game. Just, you know, a little drama, a little nerve, <laughs> never hurt anybody. Everyone <laughs> so loves I drama. We're all fine there. 
Katie, who doesn't? Katie, final question for you before we get you out of here. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think you moved to St. Louis last week officially, right? I did. I did do that. What was that process like of moving from California to St. Louis? <laughs> Well, guys, let me tell you that I'm doing this this radio call right now sitting on my counter because I don't have any furniture yet. That's good. Um, That's a good start. It's uh, actually, you know, my first piece of furniture got delivered yesterday because it's all in transit. It it has been a mess. I mean, I should have known that it was going to be a mess when I landed on Tuesday wearing flip-flops and it was snowing. And I was like, okay. Clearly, clearly did not think this through. Um, But I I thought it was the perfect way to capture this up and and to wrap it up was that when I came home a couple days ago, I saw a piece of furniture had been delivered. I was like, oh my gosh, please do something useful. It was a cat tree for my cat (laughs) who's not even here yet. So (laughs) that's where I'm at. (laughs) All right. Well, it looks like you'll be sleeping on the cat tree then moving (laughs) forward. If I'm cranky at the ballpark, you guys know why. Katie, I also I saw your uh, I saw your tweet from the ballpark a couple of nights ago, and uh, take it from somebody who has spent plenty of times up in that press box during Cardinals games. Uh, keep the window up during the game so beetles don't fly in your face. Honestly, if that beetle would have landed on my head, there probably would have been had like a helicopter that had to life fly me out of the stadium. <laughs> that was an absolutely shocking thing. To Katie, we're looking forward to having these conversations with you weekly here on the show. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today. People can subscribe to The Athletic. They can follow you on Twitter as well, at Katie J. Wu. And like she said a little bit earlier, she's got exclusive quotes from Matt Carpenter over on The Athletic right now. Story about his struggles at the plate this year and how he thinks he can correct them. Katie, thanks so much. We'll talk with you again next week. Guys, thanks so much. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. That's Katie Wu joining us here on 101 ESPN. I think what she said about Matt Carpenter is really interesting, man. Oh, geez. Are you back on the left carp cook train? No, no, not at all. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I have officially like a board admission. I am out on the let carp cook train. He is cooked. All right. Tanner's just on train. No, no. Tanner left the train last week and carp owes me 40 bucks. So. <laughs> that being said, I do think that one of the lessons to be learned from the Matt Carpenter saga is that he did seemingly take all of the lessons. He was a pupil from Jeff Albert. What did Jeff Albert want these guys to do? He wants them to hit the ball hard consistently. When they make contact, make sure it's hard contact. Well, that's exactly what Matt Carpenter has done. If you look at any of the batted ball metrics, he is among the best in the league at hitting the ball really hard. He also is not pulling the ball as often as he once did, and that was a point of contention previously with Cardinals fans. He's starting to go the other way a little bit more. But it's resulting in nothing. It's not helping him at the plate. In fact, it's actually a little bit worse than it was before he made some of these changes. And so I do think it is a reminder that while he did listen to the teachings of Jeff Albert, that does not always lead to things being better than they were before. Just because you make changes, that doesn't always lead to positive results. And so I I think it's worth noting that it seems to me like he listened to Jeff Albert. And it didn't change a whole heck of a lot for oh, him. Great. Now you're going to make all Cardinals fans hate Jeff Albert even more than they already did. Oh, I don't think that's wow, possible. Go, I don't God, think BK. that's possible. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Larry Boa is going to join us coming up in about 15 minutes or so. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 
always the air comfort service text line. This is I love these questions. Cardinals fans, I love you so much. From the 618, guys, did the Cardinals dodge a bullet by A, not trading for Francisco Lindor, and B, moving on from Randy Rosarena when they did? What? So people are finally starting to realize that Randy Rosarena won't be Babe Ruth for the rest of his career? I mean, he's been solid this year. Did you see that catch over the weekend? Okay, that's fine. Did you see Scott Hurst almost die from Tyler O'Neill? Yes. That was a great catch. (laughs) Randy Rosarena has a 130 OPS plus on the year. He's been a really good hitter once again. He strikes out a ton. So basically, he's Tyler O'Neill. He's better Tyler O'Neill. Debatable. No, it's not. How many home runs does Randy have this year? Randy has three on the year. Tyler O'Neill has three. Sounds like the same player. He's also batting 280. Sounds like both I mean, players. Tyler O'Neill's batting like what? I don't even think he's 160? at 160. I don't think he's at two. So, yeah. yeah. He's out. It's for a little while. different. Uh, I will say this I have been very surprised by Francisco Lindor's lack of production. Francisco Lindor so far is batting 210. That's always, though, when you go to a new team. I mean, that was the same kind of concerns with Arenado here. It's like, hey, when you bring a new player to a new team and a new system, and especially when you get a big contract like Lindor was just given, there's some pressure that goes with it. I mean, you see it in, in all professional sports. I have no doubt Francisco Lindor will end up the same as he has been every season. But, uh, you know, that first year might be a little bit rough considering you're on a new team into a new environment on top of the fact that you're paid probably the highest on that team. So what you're saying is he's not overrated. Talking about Lindor. Lindor. Lindor's properly if you rated. Think, if you think Lindor's overrated, then you might need to stop watching baseball. I will say this. Lindor's never been as good of a hitter overall, like as productive of a hitter as Nolan Arenado. So if you're looking at it through that perspective, like would I rather have for the Cardinals specifically Lindor or Arenado for this year? I would take Arenado. I would rather have Nolan Arenado. Now, the difference is Lindor's 27. And so he's what? 30. 30. I think he's 30. He's 30. I think I'd still rather have Nolan Arenado. It, It. it's an important position, man. Age is so just a number, stop. right? I th- yeah, but you have a shortstop. You don't have a third baseman. And yeah, I, I get you, it. Paul you, DeYoung's you, not yeah. Lindor, but that's fine. Paul DeYoung is serviceable for you at shortstop. That's actually a really good question. Who would you rather have, let's say, for the next six years? Seven years, because that's when the Nolan Arenado contract is up. Over the next seven years, who do you think you would rather have, Lindor or Arenado? On this team? Yes, I'd for ra- the Cardinals specifically. I'd, I'd rather have Arenado. See, I think I think I'd have Lindor because I although I just did say age is but a number, age is also really important. In seven years, Lindor's still gonna be he's gonna he'll be, be hitting his prime at the end of this. And probably that's about the point where he'll probably start to kind of hit the decline. Arenado in seven years may already be hitting that <laughs> decline. I, personally, hearing how this kid wor- or this guy works, I don't see him ever hitting a decline. Never would have said that about Pujols either. Never would have said that about Yachty. And look what happened. Yeah, I mean, his work ethic is about as similar as Yachty or Molina in the offseason. I I think I might go Nolan Arnato. Take that, Tanner. I know that seems crazy. I I think I would rather have Nolan Arnato just because it's about more than just the player on the field. It's also about who he is off of the field. And I think Nolan Arnauto fits I think really, Lindor really, well. Fit really well. I think too. he'd be great. And Lindor is more my style, right? Like I, I, I prefer watching Lindor style, but I think Arnauto is just such a great fit. Lindor and Arnauto styles are the same. 
No, no. What's Lindor's different about a little him? more fl- flashy? Is he yeah. Outside oh, absolutely. of outside it's not of the like, game. I mean, Arnado's it's not more like passion, like fire. Lindor's a little bit more exuberance. See, I, I don't would be the way that I would. I don't see him as like a Tatis Jr. Like it, I don't get that Lindor? same feel. Yeah, I don't get that same feel with him. I think he's closer to Tatis than he is Arenado. Mm. Arenado's more in the vein of like Yadier Molina, but playing third base. And, and I, I love that, and I think it plays here. I think I think that's the way that I would look at it. Uh, six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. From the 910, guys, do you think that the pitchers are leaning too much, or excuse me, the Cardinals are leaning too much on pitch counts? It seems to me like Kim, Gant, and Flaherty all could have pitched longer if they wanted them to. What did you guys think of the decision to pull those guys? So, did you feel like they should have left Flaherty in a little bit longer? No, you got, you got seven innings out of Flaherty and you were leading. Like, I, there's no reason that, like, you're just, you're wasting pitches that could be crucial for you later in the season. So, no, I'm fine with that. Uh, KK, I don't remember. It was the sixth, right? Where they pulled after six, they pulled him five and two five thirds, and two thirds. Right? five and two thirds. And you were up by four, four at the time. runs. Five I'm one. fine with it. every guy that was pulled out was pulled out when you were up by four or five runs and they were at five and two thirds, six innings, seven innings. Like I'm fine with that because that's what one, what your bullpen is for. To, to be able to close out those games for you. And I just feel like you're wasting pitches at that point because you're leaning. I'd rather save those 10, 15, 20 pitches for later in the game. And Flaherty's an interesting one because I don't know. That home run for me that he gave up was solely off of, I think, he was he was being a little too hesitant with his pitches after what took place with Jonathan India. Yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with either any of those guys getting pulled and yep. pitch count KK I understand because he's coming back from injury so you're going to be a little tentative with him and with Gant as much as we want to say well he had a low pitch count he could have gone out there look guys Gant Gant's been kind of a off and on pitcher with walks he was really good over the weekend so I don't want to take anything away from that and the third time through a lineup and I get it that's looking into the numbers and all that and but it kind of had the feel of the way Gant's pitched this year that if you tried to get him through that lineup a third time there could have been disaster Schilt's already learned that the hard way by letting him bat for himself earlier in the year. So I, I understood pulling Gant in the after six innings. And you're in a two-run game. Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not chancing that there. I'd rather keep it 2 nothing than 2 nothing with two guys on. I didn't have an issue with any of them. If you were going to leave one in, I think it probably would have been Flaherty. But in that game where you're going for the sweep and you've got guys that are rested that you trust at the back end of your pin... I think I'm just leaning on Jordan Hicks and Alex Reyes in that game and yeah. saying, let's go get him. And I think that Jonathan India thing messed Flaherty up there. Yeah, I, I, I didn't have an issue with those at all. I actually thought the Cardinals managed everything pretty well over the weekend. I didn't have any issues with anything that Mike Schilt did, really. I mean, he even moved our guy Dylan Carlson up in the lineup. What am I going to complain about today? Didn't play. Whoa, I never Productive said that. weekend. From one Mike Schilt. With Alex Ferrario and Sander Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Larry Boa was a player, a coach, and a manager for the Phillies. He's done it all. He's seen it all. I want to ask him, Nolan Arenado, Mike Schmidt, what's the comparison there? What does one do better, worse than the other? I want to ask Larry Boa about that when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Very happy 
to go out to the Brownie and Crouppen celebrity line as the Cardinals are getting ready for their series against the Phillies to join somebody that's done basically everything that you can possibly do within the Phillies organization. He is Larry Boa joining us via the Brownie and Crouppen celebrity line. He has been a player, a coach, and a manager for the Phillies. Now is doing some stuff with their front office. Larry, we always appreciate the time. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. Oh, it's my my pleasure, guys. And uh, hopefully there's a good series out there. And uh, we know the Cardinals are playing a little bit better than they were when they came here. But uh, I think we got to pick up our game a little bit. We've just been very inconsistent. Let's start with that, Larry. What's been your early impression of this Phillies team in 2021? Well, I think uh, we, we've had some problems at the back end of our rotation, our four and five starters. Uh, Moore is on the IL. Uh, and... Anderson has pitched okay, but, you know, I'm sure he can do better. I'm sure he'll be the first to tell you he can do better. The top three have pitched fairly well. Uh, in the bullpen right now, we're hurting a little bit. We have uh, Bradley that's still out and Alvarado, who's done a great job. But I understand he might be coming back this series against the Cardinals. But I would just have to say the inconsistencies. And, and defensively, we haven't made plays I know that we're capable of making offensively, Larry, though, I mean, the Phillies team is such a fun team to watch when you talk about a guy like Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins and then Gene Segura, who has always been good, especially against the Cardinals. When you look at how this roster has been constructed offensively, what sticks out to you? Well, I think we have the ability to score runs. I really do. And I I think that we have the right combination of guys hitting the ball out of the ballpark. We probably lack a little speed, but uh, JT, you know, He's one of the best catchers in baseball, along with your guy in St. Louis. And as you said, Hoskins, we've gotten a big surprise from Maton filling in for uh, Segura. Segura's probably going to be out another week. Uh, D.D. and Baum have been a little inconsistent, and, and McCutcheon's been inconsistent. So I know it's early, and a lot of people are pushing the panic button. I think you got to give guys close to 150 at-bats, you know, before you start saying, oh, this is what it's going to be like. Because, you know, the average is – as you well know, uh, can fluctuate. You get three hits one game and three the next day, your average goes up maybe more than 100 points. So I would, uh, in Philly especially, I wouldn't be pushing the panic button quite yet. Everybody in our division who I thought was going to be, this was going to be the toughest division in baseball, but they're all playing terrible. So nobody's really taking charge of it. The Mets are one game over, and I think they're in first place. Everybody else is under 500 in our division. It's crazy how baseball works, isn't it? I mean, we, we talked all offseason about the Mets, the Phillies, the Braves, Nationals, and the Padres, and you look around and all of them are like a game up or a game below 500. It's nuts. Um, I, I do know. Want- Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I think it's just been inconsistencies, you know, and, and I think you're going to see that a lot first month of the season. I think once guys get settled in here and pitchers are stretched out a little more, I think you're going to see better performances from everybody in every division. But right now, it's, it's it's funny the way the standings are. There's some teams at the bottom that shouldn't be there, and there's some teams at the top that I don't think should be there. But that's the way baseball is. I was about to say, Larry, do you think this is just baseball, or do you think that this is – can we – can we place this on the fact that it was a strange offseason, strange start to the year with uh, the way that spring training was set up and the shortened season a year ago? Is, is there anything to that as well? Yeah, I think there is. I definitely think there is. Obviously, guys didn't do pitch very many innings last year, and who knows what their workload was during the wintertime when they were working out. I mean, we got a kid named Howard that hasn't really pitched in, in well, he pitched a little bit last year, but he's, he was one of our young guys that we thought we were going to get – some innings out of it because we didn't play last year 
his innings are limited, and he's been coming out of the bullpen. He's down the road here. He's a starting pitcher. There's no doubt in my mind. But they've been trying to ease the innings in, and hopefully that we're in this thing after uh, the, maybe the All Star break. Then you can start amping him up to getting some more innings in. But I think a lot of teams fall under that umbrella that uh, a lot of their young pitchers that they counted on are even young players. And 60 games is not a season, as you well know. And guys didn't get their innings. Guys didn't get at-bats. Some of the future minor leaguers that are going to be big leaguers, a lot of them didn't even play last year. So it's like a lost year, and I think it's affected everybody. Uh, Larry, I want to go back to hitting. Put your manager's cap on me for a minute because we have a lot of conversation here in St. Louis about the batting order, and I know that's kind of what you dive into. But, you know, uh, put, putting somebody in the two-hole that can get on base, you know, shifting guys around into the 3-4-5 spot. From a manager's perspective, where is that most important area of a batting order that you're always looking to make sure that it's filled? You know, I, I like when, if you have a, a good combination of three, four, five, I, I like that. And obviously you need your first two guys in the line to get on. But, you know, a lot of a lot of managers and obviously the analytics say your best hitter should be hitting second, which, you know, with, with the pitcher hitting, especially this year in the National League, I don't really agree with that. But, uh, you know, obviously analytics have sort of taken over the game. And uh, that's why you see a lot of your best hitters hitting second. Uh, I know our guy uh, has been hitting third and he's tearing it up right now, Harper. I just assume we keep him there. But again, you know, Joe Girardi is going to make those calls. But it's important to have a lineup, I think, that you can throw out there every day. And guys know who's hitting in front of them. Guys know who's hitting behind them. Guys know who's going to try to steal. Uh, and, and, you know, there, there's just a comfort zone when guys come to the park every day and you don't have to look every day, oh, I'm hitting second. Oh, I'm hitting seventh. Oh, I'm hitting eighth. Uh, it, it, it eases your mind mentally, and obviously you got to produce and put numbers up, which we have been right now offensively very inconsistent. I thought that would be our biggest strength is scoring runs, and uh, we haven't done it on a consistent basis. We've shown good signs, and then we've gone two or three games where you say, well, what happened? And again, I, I'm, I'm giving, I like to give guys 150 at-bats and just see where they are after 150 at-bats. Larry Boa, former Phillies player, coach, and manager, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Larry, I wanted to ask you about a former Phillies third baseman that you played with that goes by the name Mike Schmidt. He had a pretty darn good career. And here in St. Louis, we've got a guy in Nolan Arenado that has been compared to Mike Schmidt by people whenever we first acquired him, when St. Louis first acquired him. I, you played with Mike Schmidt. Do you see that comparison? Do you think that is fair? I, I, you know, I first of all, I don't think it's fair because you're talking about probably the, I, I'm being a little prejudiced here, the greatest third baseman I've ever seen. I mean, I, I wasn't in the American League, but I understand Brooks Robinson was right up there. But to put that kind of pressure on uh, on, on Arenado, I mean, I don't think that's fair for him. I think he's an outstanding defensive player. I don't think he's going to put up the numbers off. When I say numbers, home run wise, that Mike Schmidt put up, he could play with him defensively. You also had a guy there that left us. That went there, I thought was an outstanding third baseman, Scott Rowland. So, you guys have been very blessed to have Rowland, Arenado, and I, I do think, as, as much as I hate to say it, it, it's tough to compare those guys with Mike Schmidt because Mike Schmidt is a big time Hall of Famer, and not saying those guys aren't going to be because I think Scott Rowland had a great career, and I think Arenado's on his way to having a Hall of Fame career, but to put that kind of pressure on him, I just don't see the power that he has that Mike Schmidt had. And other than that, and he can go toe-to-toe with him defensively. He's very smart, a good base runner. Uh, you guys picked up a very good player, and you got him and Goldschmidt on the corners. 
that's a pretty good start. And of course, uh, Molina behind the plate, that's three pretty good players. How much fun is it, Larry, when you have a guy like a Mike Schmidt or a Nolan Arenado or a Scott Rowland, like guys who can change the game and make highlight reel plays and bring fans into it just from one single play? How rewarding or fun is it to have guys like that? It's great, especially now, because all people talk about are three-run homers. Hmm. You know, defense seems like it's gone downhill because everyone stresses launch angle and exit velocity. So when you see a guy play both sides of the ball, it gets your attention real quick. And the guy, the three guys you named definitely played both sides of the ball. And it picks up a pitcher, it picks up a whole team. You get a bases loaded, and the guy hits a bullet down to third, and Arenado backhands it, turns it into a double play. I mean, that brings everybody, gets everybody's attention, and it keeps the other team from having big innings. We're, we're, we're so obsessed with offense, 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 so we get away from the defensive part of the game because if you have good pitchers and you have a great defense, it's going to make that pitcher almost great. It can go the other way. If you have a great pitcher and you have a poor defense, it'll be an average pitcher. So you need those guys to make plays in crucial situations, and you definitely have one at third base in in Arenado. Larry, you've mentioned a few times Yadier Molina, and he's having an unbelievable year. I, I can't believe that he's still doing this at the age of 38. But so far this year, he's batting over 300, and he's added five home runs uh, for the Cardinals. When you watch Yadier Molina, I would imagine as a baseball lifer yourself, you appreciate him. But can you tell us, as as somebody that are more casual observers, what you're watching when you see Yadier Molina out there? Well, besides his growth as a hitter, you know, when he first came up, he wasn't known to be a very good hitter. He's learned how to be a really, really a tough out. He likes to come up in crucial situations. I think the thing that stands out in my mind, I've seen him take pitchers uh, that start a game for the Cardinals. They don't start off with real good stuff, and he finds a way to navigate through a lineup till this pitcher gets his feet on the ground. He's got an uncanny way of reading swings, which I think right now is a lost art. I don't think catchers even bother him in looking at that. He knows what a pitcher's strength is and what his weaknesses are, and he doesn't go away if a guy's not getting his breaking ball over in the first inning. He might abandon it for an inning or two, but you'll see him go back to it. I just seen him handle so many young pitchers, and not only just young pitchers, but veteran pitchers, and you very, very seldom see that anybody shake this guy off because he knows what he's doing. He does his homework. He's probably one of the best catchers that's ever put on the, the uniform there. And we got a guy that we think's very good too, JT, and he's got a ways to go to to match what uh, what uh, Yachty's done because Yachty's done it over a period of time, and the fact that he's 38 years old and still doing it at a high level is very impressive. That's a tough position to play, and this guy doesn't miss too many games. I notice he's been out a couple games, and I'm sure when he sees the Phillies coming in tonight. He'll probably be back in the lineup because he wore us out the last time they were at Citizens Bank Park. So I'm sure he's chomping at the bit to get back in there. Yeah, he's, it sounds like he's planning to be back in the lineup tonight, barring some sort of a setback. He had a little bit of a foot issue over the weekend. Larry, last couple of things for you. I was talking with Danny Mack, the Cardinals broadcaster, earlier today, and I asked him, hey, if you could ask Larry Bow anything, what would you ask him? He said, you got to make sure that you ask Larry about Jim Edmonds because he just loves Jim Edmonds. Larry, can you describe that for me? Where, where's your appreciation for Jim Edmonds come from? Uh, I'll tell, tell you what. Jim Edmonds was a guy that did it everywhere. Uh, and, and i seen probably the greatest catch a center fielder's ever made. It was against Kansas City. Uh, and I know Willie Mays' catch stands out, uh, you know, a long time ago. But this, I'm talking about the modern 
the modern era. I have never seen a guy run down a ball like that, full extension with his back to home plate, and make that catch at Kansas City. It's probably the greatest catch I've ever seen in person. But the fact that he did so well offensively, he had just a natural talent. Uh, I mean, you talk about guys that could hit in the middle of wintertime. Jim can come out in December, take a few warm-up swings, and probably hit balls over the wall. But uh, he had a tremendous career. He got hurt early in his career, but at the end, uh, I mean, this guy is a, a great player. And uh, it was fun being in the, on the coaching staff in Anaheim when he was playing. And the last thing that I wanted to ask you about, Larry, I, I was reading earlier today, um, I was preparing for this interview, and I saw a picture of Lou Brock sliding in underneath you to set the new stolen base record of 105 steals in a season. And I wanted to ask you, because we lost Lou a little bit, what, I guess September last year, um, what was it like going up against a base stealer like Lou Brock back in the day? Well, first of all, Lou Brock was not a, a great Cardinal. He was a great ball player of, of all time. And he made defenses. It's unbelievable when he got to the plate. As an infielder, you had to move in two steps. When he was on first base, you had to cheat toward the middle of the diamond. He, w- he was fearless on the base pass. He did not care who was catching. He didn't care who was pitching. Uh, he made things happen. And he had a lot of – when I was first coming up, I used to try to just – pick his brain about stealing bases. And he says, the one thing he says, are you a base stealer or can you steal a base? And I looked at him and I went, I think I'm a base stealer. Cause I can, you know, I got 360 or 70, but nothing like him. And he goes, well, if you're a base stealer, you can't be afraid of getting thrown out. We have a lot of guys that can steal a base. He says, but you're a, when you're a base stealer, you have to go out there with reckless abandon and uh, really intimidate the pitcher and the catcher. And that's exactly what he did. He would change defenses the way you played the other hitter. Pit, hitters that hit behind him got a lot of fastballs because they knew that if you threw a breaking ball, you might as well put it in your pocket because you're not going to throw him out. Uh, just a tremendous player, and it was sad to see him and Bob Gibson yeah. pass away. Two great Cardinals, two great Hall of Fame players, and uh, I was very fortunate to compete against both those guys. And I look back on it, and it wasn't fun, but it was an honor to compete against guys like Gibson and and Lou Brock. That's well said, Larry. Real quick, if I could follow up on that, because you talked about that reckless abandonment, uh, stealing the bases. Do you feel like that's lost in the game today? No question. I think that's lost. I think hit and run's lost. I think sacrifice bunt, bunting is, is, is lost. There's there's so much analytics involved that and I asked uh, one of our analytic people, I said, well, you know, sometimes you put a hit and run on it with a guy that strikes out a lot. You might make him concentrate a little more and really try to put the ball in play. And they go, well, the percentage just say we don't do that. And if you can't steal 90% of the time, they don't want you running the bases. So they basically tied your hands as far as their recommendations. When they, you know, when they send their information down, they just assume you play station to station, wait for the three-run homer. And, uh, you know, that's fun. But those, a lot of times those three-run homers, they go on vacation for a while. And then you're sitting there saying, I wonder <laughs> how we're going to score life this year, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable that they rely just on three-run home runs. And, you know, but it, it's amazing, though, when you get to the World Series, you see all the other strategies back in the game, hitting and running, sacrifice bunting, stealing bases. Uh, I guess they think it's okay when you run playing a seven-game series, but when you're playing 100 and 62, the percentage just say don't do it. So well, and I saw last it's a new night, way of Larry. playing the game. It's a new way of playing the game. I just don't like it. I, I really don't. 
I saw it last night as I'm watching the Padres. Like they're they're running hit and runs. They're stealing bases. Yeah, they are. Reckless like it, abandonment on the base paths. I, I don't what? understand sometimes. Like I'm watching one team that is super successful. They're doing it. Why why can't other teams? I know you would think you know this is a copycat league if you think about it, and you think if general managers are watching the Padres the way they're playing right now, and they just gave the Dodgers all they could handle, and I think the Dodgers might have the best team in baseball, but. You saw it created a lot of problems, and you would think that the general managers would say, you know what, that might be a way to go now because pitchers are throwing 98, 99. It's hard to square that up sometimes for home runs, so maybe we got to start putting some guys in motion and see what happens. But hopefully, hopefully we'll get back to some sort of normalcy and play the game that we all love to watch and play and uh, get away from this waiting for three-run home runs. There's a lot of strikeouts. There's no two-strike approaches. And that's got to come back into play, I believe. Amen, Larry. I know every one of our listeners is just nodding their head in agreement as they're hearing you say this. Larry, we always appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. All right, guys. I hope you guys have a good luck after this four-game series. Okay? <laughs> and we, would, we wish you the exact same. That's Larry Thanks, Boa, Larry. Former right, Phillies player, manager, and coach joining us here on 101 ESPN. I could talk with uh, baseball with that guy all day long. God, it, that was incredible. It just like when I'm watching that game last night for the Padres, Alex, and I'm watching Fernando Tatis stealing bases, or I'm watching them with the hit and runs that they ran multiple times throughout the course of that game, I'm like, Yes, like th- this is how it works. The Dodgers are really good defensively, and even for them, it caused some defensive issues in that game last night. Like, I'm with Larry in the fact that, yes, it, it is a lower percentage play, but if you're only looking at the percentages, you're not taking into account the pressure that it puts on a defense when people are no longer prioritizing defenses. So you have worse defenders out there. You're putting pressure on them to make a play in the split second. And then if they don't make that play, it very well could turn into an error and your guy taking yet another base. And now you got a runner on third with one out. And all you got to do is hit a sack fly like there's value in that. There is. We've just got to be able to get back. I just to don't it. know why managers don't see that and say uh, the hell with analytics. Well, and I guess I know why managers because it's baseball, but they just say the hell with analytics. Let's go that route. You know why San Diego was doing that is because it was a seven to one ball game. And basically San Diego saying we're not going to win this from home runs. We're going to win this from on the base paths. And they just went out there and started running. And look what it did. It put pressure on the bullpen pitchers. And next thing you know, boom, two runs given up. Boom, two runs given up. More teams need to go out there. And I feel like the San Diego Padres, and I don't would know this until you get the chance to talk to the manager, but I feel like the Padres know that they have players that you don't have to go analytics route with. Like Fernando Tatis Jr. is just a robot. Like you don't <laughs> need analytics with him. Just go out there and play. Dude stealing bases and flipping his hair after he gets safe. It's like amazing. Manny Machado is just going out there and running. Trent Grisham is going out there. Tommy Pham is going out there. You don't need analytics when you're those guys. You just go out there and play the ball game. And I wish, I wish more teams would look at this and just crumble up the analytics and say the hell with it. Let's go play baseball. The other thing is like, I think sometimes the numbers are just missing out on what your opponent is going to do. There are other variables that come into account. If you're at the plate, yeah, there's literally two variables. It is you versus the pitcher. That's it. That's all that you got to worry about. But once you put the ball in play, there's more than that. And so it's, it's just something that I wish we could get a little bit more aggressive with. Paul Goldschmidt. First Cardinals base stealer of the season, not named Tommy Edmond. That was fun to see over the weekend. Which which was the three of us that said the Cardinals wouldn't have multiple players with five or more stolen bases this season? That was this guy. Oh, see, I thought it was Tanner. Still believe it. 
No, it wasn't me. Still believe it. Are you guys on the other side? You think oh, that they're going to have yeah. multiple guys with five plus stolen Oh, yeah, stolen the floodgates bases. were just open. Pandora's <laughs> box just happened with Goldschmidt stealing. Now everyone's feeling it. No. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer. But coming up next, the Cardinals made it very clear what their plans are with Matt Carpenter for the foreseeable future. We'll tell you what they had to say about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Baseball is a thinking man sport. Well hit into right center at the wall. Gone! Tyler O'Neill, opposite field home run. O'Neill again, out to center. At the track, at the wall, he's done it again. Goodbye. Two for two. Two solo shots. Big weekend for Tyler O'Neill couple of homers for him and I think he's officially established himself as your starting left fielder for the foreseeable future sounds like it's going to be Alex about two weeks until Harrison Bader returns maybe a little bit less and I think basically every game that he's available until then Tyler O'Neill should be in your starting lineup and by virtue of that what I'm really saying here is that Tyler O'Neill is starting over Matt Carpenter for the next two weeks I think that decision what? should be made now he showed you what you needed to see that is what you've been waiting for from Tyler O'Neill. Is it going to come with a ton of strikeouts and not enough walks? Yeah, that's the profile of hitter that he is. But I thought it was really interesting to hear Tyler O'Neill talk over the weekend before he hit those homers about how it might have actually been a silver lining for him to go on the IL early this year. It might have been a blessing in disguise. You know, you got to look at the positives. Uh, got to stay positive. And, um, you know, again, it's a long year, so... You know, I know I'm going to get my at-bats. I know I'm going to play and be, be the player that I know that I am. So uh, just to be able to hit the reset button a little bit, um, you know, and get back in my zone is, is, is key for me, and uh, I feel like I'm in a good spot. Hearing him talk, it's like hearing a hockey player talk after a game. That's <laughs> like amazing. I'm in my element. <laughs> it sounds just like him. He was swinging and missing way too much. He was chasing out of the zone. It was not enough contact. It was all of the things that we've seen from him when he's really struggling. He was whiffing Alex 42% of the time. All of the things that I talked about early last year that he had fixed, he reverted back to the player that he was previously. And there's probably some of that that's a good thing. It's probably good that he unlocks a little bit more of the zone for him to truly expand it to be able to get the power that we need to see out of him, but not to the degree that we are seeing early in the season. And so for him to be able to get back to the player that he wants to be that we saw in spring training so much, maybe this was a good thing. Maybe it was nice for him to be able to get a little bit of a reset to be the player that we know he can be. I think you definitely need something like that from Tyler O'Neill and a lot of people are going to hear that and say, oh, all he does is need resets because he gets injured all season. But look, at the end of the day, you had a guy who was performing at spring training. Maybe he was feeling a little too confident, and that's where the game got away from him, and then he gets injured. Right now is the perfect runway for Tyler O'Neill because what I believe is happening is you have two guys for two weeks that are performing for a everyday outfield spot, Tyler O'Neill and Justin Williams. Because when Harrison Bader comes back, Harrison Bader's going to the center field position, exactly what you mentioned because of in the first hour. He's going to be kind of that pilot out there directing people in terms of defense. So does Tyler O'Neill want this, and does he want to be the everyday six, seven-hole hitter with some power? 
Or does Justin Williams want this? A guy that a lot of people didn't even expect to make the major league roster. I think it's kind of a breakdown right now between these two. But look, if Tyler O'Neill does what he is saying, took that time off, reset, worked on his approach, and if we're getting that Tyler O'Neill, that's only going to benefit this team. I don't care if the batting average is low and he's striking out. If you're hitting home runs, that's what we've all wanted him to be. That's what we all expected him to be. And if he is that, it changes the batting order for you. Yeah, and with that too, with the stress coming into the season, I mean, there's pressure on the whole Cardinals outfield coming into the year. So when he gets off to the slow start, then he really starts pressing. And then you get those 10 days off going on IL. Sure, you never want to be injured, but I think there is value in getting just a couple days off to kind of mentally reset. And it's not like he got benched either. It was an injury. You're going on IL. Go take your 10 days, recover, go have a little bit of a rehab assignment, get some swings in doing that. I think as weird as it is to say, the injury might have been the best thing for him Agreed. because rather than being benched, which can be can just kind of take down your confidence, it's an injury. You get some time off. You can get healthy again. And also, again, the, I think the rehab assignment going to the alternate camp and getting some swings in, I think that's important for him. And with, if he's got confidence and he's swinging, yes, the strikeouts are still going to be high even when he's confident. The lineup's going to be really deep and going to have an extra power spot, especially bottom of the order in that seven, six or seven spot. And I'm fine if he's striking out. As long as you're hitting home runs, as long as you're Can't giving some power. Fifty percent of the time, which is what he had early this year, it's got to be thirty to thirty-five. You live with it, you deal with it, because that's that's what the really high strikeout rates are across baseball for players that are like Tyler O'Neill. So I can live with that. Fifty percent's getting up there. I just need you to bat like two fifty. If you're batting around two fifty and you're showing the power that we saw over the weekend, I can live with the strikeouts. It's when we got to where we were, kind of at the. I guess really the last eight games when he was up before the injury, he was striking out 50% of the time and he had zero extra base hits in that stretch. That's what you can't live with. You can't go through those super dry spells where it's only strikeouts because it, it depletes what you're able to do in your lineup. You basically have an extra um, pitcher slot at that point. You don't want that. But you can live with some of the strikeouts. I can deal with that, especially when you've got other guys, uh, one through six, like you said, Tanner, that are hitting the way that the Cardinals are right now. The one thing that I can't handle, and again, I if he's striking out a lot, then it's I understand. Okay, if he's striking out and he's giving us the power, then that's fine. But it cannot be the untimely strikeout. If there are runners on and we need situational hitting, we cannot have the strikeout. That is going to be key. That is something I'm going to be watching for with Tyler O'Neill going forward. If there's a runner at second, one out. Can you get that guy to third and just, even if it's an out, make it a productive out. Don't don't make it be the strikeout or the weak ground ball to the left side that doesn't get the guy over. I want to see him become a little bit better of a situational hitter. So with Tyler O'Neill back, I think that is going to mean the end of the Matt Carpenter everyday experience, guys. Guy owes me money. I know you are shedding some tears right now, but we already saw it over the weekend. That was... Friday night, we were all very surprised to see Matt Carpenter get the start. Apparently, it was because there was a ball that was hit off of Tyler O'Neill's shin. Total BS. Total BS because he's been playing the outfield and batting in the sixth inning. He goes trotting out there in the sixth. Get the hell out of here. That was the last attempt to keep Matt Carpenter in the lineup. Well, it didn't go well. Uh, He goes 0 for 2. He did have a walk in the game, struck out once as well. And Matt Carpenter's struggles have been well documented. He is now batting 0.75 on the season. He has a 3.58 OPS. He's been one of the 
10 worst everyday players in baseball so far this year. There's no way for me to sugarcoat it. I feel ashamed I started the Let Carp Cook movement. I feel ashamed that I started the Let Carp Cook movement. I feel great that I've stuck where I have been and never wavered. John Mosaylock over the weekend, I believe it was on Friday night before that game, was addressing the media. And as you would expect, the vast majority of the questions were about Matt Carpenter. And he began with his overall thoughts about Carpenter's struggles offensively. Well, daddy always said, hit them where they ain't. So um, that would be my advice. But I, I mean, like, look, you can you can only like we need to build a, a, <laughs> a line of reasoning for so long. At, at some point in this game, you're truly measured on on what you do, and there's that old saying, right? If it if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But if something isn't working, maybe you need to to, to try to make some adjustments. So, I do appreciate the fact that he is making hard contact. I do appreciate the fact that you know he's trying to re- remain positive in this. But to some level, you've got to see production out of that. He also added that if he were in Matt Carpenter's shoes, he would suggest. Maybe try something new. Ultimately, how this season is going to unfold for him, I'm not sure even if making adjustments changes his production all that much because he's he's so wedded to one version of this swing. So I think the complexities of this is a lot more difficult than maybe all of us realize. But, you know, if it was as simple as a light switch, I'd recommend flipping it be awesome if that was as simple as fixing it but look i respect john for saying that and john you guys on a first name basis yeah we had a conversation over the weekend and, and we finally got to the point where it went from was this over some mo fashions like no, what's going no, on here no, we, we <laughs> went from john Mosellock to mo to now we're john I, okay. I respect guys i'm trying to be serious here come on I respect him for coming forward and speaking. Katie Wu addressed that as well, that he was honest, and that's all you can ask for. So please let's not blow this out of proportion and be like, ah, oh, Moe's calling out Matt Carpenter. No, he's being honest about the situation. Yeah. And God bless Matt Carpenter for being upfront and willing to talk to the media about all of this because most guys wouldn't do that. They'd tuck their head and run. So I do respect both of them, Matt and John. Yes, first names <laughs> on both of them for doing it, but he's right. I mean, look. Surprised you're not calling him like Matty C or something. <laughs> no, it's Matt. That is, we're, we're professional right now, okay. guys. Look, I'm, it's not working the way that he's been trying. It's not working where he would try the adjustment of going back to the guy who was hitting doubles at the beginning of his season and setting a new Cardinals record. So at the end of the day, nothing is working here. So you have to just sit there and say, okay, well, his best role is going to be an asset for this team off of the bench or a complimentary piece, but he's not going to be a piece that's going to affect the on-field stuff. Call him J-Mo. Is that, is that the go-to for John Mosaylock? No, that's, 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 that's what it that's is on disrespectful. your phone. That's got to be. That is disrespectful. No, my at, phone says Mr. John Mosaylock. I looked this up this morning. There are 277 players that have at least 40 plate appearances in Major League Baseball this season. 277, 40 plate appearances. Matt Carpenter's current rankings. 276th in batting average, second worst. 260th is on base percentage, 17th worst. We're getting up there. 272nd in slugging percentage, one of the five worst. If you look at the OPS plus metric, which basically normalizes things across the league, he's the seventh worst in all of baseball this year. He has been one of the 10 least productive hitters in the sport. Hey, if you're not the worst, then you're not last. Hey, daddy always said, hit them where they ain't. I I appreciate what John Mosellock was saying there because I think it sets the table for what we are going to see from the Cardinals moving forward. 
he can't play every day. In fact, he is a bench bat. Moving forward, he is nothing more than a bench bat for this Cardinals team while they're healthy. If Tyler O'Neill goes down again, okay, maybe you start seeing more opportunities for Matt Carpenter. No. But every day moving forward, it should be Tommy Edmond at second base. Right now, you get Justin Williams those opportunities in the outfield. You'll get Tyler O'Neill everyday opportunities in left. And then when Harrison Bader gets back, we'll see who's hitting. If Justin Williams is on a tear, well, he stays in the lineup over Tyler O'Neill. If Tyler O'Neill's on a tear, he stays in the lineup. If it's a tie, tie goes to the guy that we thought was going to be a big part of their future, and that would be Tyler O'Neill. Tie goes to the bigger man with biceps. There you go. Or, or, or we platoon. Or How we. That? How about a platoon? Or Anybody it's a platoon fight, fan? Or it's a fight to the death for oh, the final on, that's spot. That's not fair. Where do you guys think John, or not John Mosaic, where do you guys think Matt Carpenter ranks among the Cardinals bench bats right now? Like if you're in a late inning situation, you've <laughs> got a pinch hitter. better than Edmundo Sosa. And it's a righty on the mound. That's an important part of this because he's a lefty bat coming off of the bench. Where do you think he ranks among your options coming off of the bench against a right-handed reliever coming into the game? I'd have him second behind Andrew Kisner. I I would put him fourth. Dean? I would go. Oh, I forgot about Dean. I would. Come on, the Dean machine. It's Zummer Zero. I would go Dean. Deaninator? The Deaninator. No, what did we. It was the Dean machine. Why are you trying to change the nickname we came up with? I would go Dean, and then. I would go Sosa, honestly. Hurst, and then I would go Carpenter. And Kisner's not on my list because Kisner's my backup catcher. What the hell just happened? Matt Carpenter cannot come off the bench and be a pinch hitter. You for just you. put Scott Hurst ahead of Andrew Kisner. I, well, the only reason I'm doing that is like if when I'm doing my ranking of a pinch hitter, I'm thinking like it's the seventh inning. I need the pinch hitter, and the backup catchers normally last because in case your catcher gets hurt, aka what yacht happened to Yachty this weekend. Well, then just let the guy pinch hit and take over for the rest of the game. But if it's a big time run, I'm putting Kisner out there. If it's a big time run, it's like the ninth inning, and somehow I still have all five bench bats. Then Kisner's probably number two on my list behind the Dean and Ader. You're so old. How's that not fair? I Co- think Kisner should hitting. get more opportunities. Kisner should be number two behind Dean. I forgot about. Dean. I know you can't. I get it. Old school, like you got to have him available in case anything were to happen. I get like that. Like what happened this weekend. I Wait, understand. Example A. Totally understand. Kisner is. One of your better bench bats, and I, I would like to see him get off more opportunities at the plate. I agree. I'm sorry I was doing my list off of knowledge. <laughs> Coming, wow, shots fired. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. The Joke Tour is coming up next on 101 ESPN. Well, Daddy always said, hit him where they ain't. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. A little bit of baseball news to pass along for you guys before we jump into the junk drawer. The Colorado Rockies have just announced that Jeff Breidich, their general manager, has effective immediately decided to step down. <laughs> yeah. Blow it up and then walk away as it blows up behind you. Hey, cool guys don't look at explosions. Amen. They walk away slowly from them. Do you think Nolan Arenado is just like sitting back cackling smoking a cigar right now you're like yeah i've been trying to tell you guys this for five years the guy's a clown no because i think nolan arenado is so happy he's not there anymore he doesn't even think about it anymore Uh, i don't know that i agree with that i think 
I think Coronado has a little bit of spite in him about what took place, no. especially at the end. I don't think with so. The Rockies. I think once you once you go to the new team and you're performing better and they're performing better, you don't even think about it anymore. I think that dude is so unbelievably competitive that he's fueled by what took place in Colorado. I, I think it got personal between him and Breidich. In fact, I, we've seen reporting that it, it did get personal. Honestly, I really just with, wish uh, Jeff would have traded Trevor's story before he left Colorado. <laughs> like, honestly, like, light the, fl- light the flame that leads to the tank of gasoline and watch it explode. In all seriousness, why do you think they make this move now? I think like it's got to be that they're considering making a move like that at some point this year, right? Because yeah, their team stinks. I don't I mean, know why you don't make it in the, the offseason. Like, why don't you make that move in the offseason after the Nolan? Maybe they waited before with the Arenado trade. Well, but you were moving Arenado regardless. So. Right. So my new general manager, you get to decide what the pieces are that you want in return but, for Arenado. But maybe you don't, don't want, want to make my old general manager making that. But move. maybe you don't want to make that old general manager or the new general manager look bad. Maybe you want the old general manager to be the scapegoat. The new guy comes in, makes a move for Trevor Story, and then says, ah, look at this guy. Look at what he got. That's actually a really good tinfoil theory. No, that's not even a tinfoil theory. That's that's I'm that's giving you facts. Theory. Oh, facts. The problem's going to be the first, whoever they hire as the new general manager, the first move they make is probably going to be trading Trevor Story now. Well, you've got, you've got to hire the GM. Or lock up Trevor deadline. Story. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're not re-signing Trevor Story. No chance. Are we sure? I would be stunned. Are Absolutely sure? stunned at this point. Damn it, do. guys. Now you can't trade Trevor Story for Matt Carpenter. Ah, that's a good point. Dang. That's very unfortunate. Sorry, guys. Well, we'll get more into this throughout the day today. Alex, what do you have for us in the junk drawer, my friend? Boys, I'm going to take you a down a trip down memory lane. Okay. Uh, Tanner, you might not know this because you weren't born before this was a right, thing. So but great uh, memory. But um, renting movies. We all remember that BK going oh, to Blockbuster. Yeah. Like your Apple, oh. no, Nothing no, better on a Friday your... night than going to Blockbuster, going to the top 20 rentals, yep, deciding not... which one you want to go with. Or you know what? Maybe old school, you go and rent some video games and you take those oh, home yeah. on a weekend. Well, somebody, uh, Texas woman did this uh, 22 years ago. She rented a VHS tape. Good movie, I guess, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, if you like that show. But anyway, <laughs> she uh, she never returned that tape. And now apparently they have placed her with a felony embezzlement for rental property. So now she has got a legal charge against her for renting a tape and never returning it. 22 years ago. She's like a felony. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I I'm positive. I have stuff that I have not returned in 20 years. So I I can confirm I do. Oh, oh, look, you remember those late charges, man? Those were ridiculous. I I have a book from college. Still have it. Didn't you buy that? Probably. No, I did not. Okay. In fact, I got it rented for free. This 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 is amazing. And by the way, the felony charges have been dropped. They finally she basically came out and said, like, look, I didn't even rent this. Somebody in my family must have rented. it. I have no idea. I don't know where this is. She's living in a different state. Anyway, they've dropped the felony charges. But this brought me back to uh, my time going to movie stores and renting videos because I was notorious for renting a movie or a video game forgetting that I had it because I'd set it in my room and then my parents would go to the movie store like I don't know a month later and they'd have like $50 on the late fees like what the hell is this and they tell them they'd come home be like what the hell did you do Alex my we were notorious for having to go to the movie store and like negotiate like (laughs) like total Italian negotiation of like hey look I'll give you half I know I'll give you half of the the late fees if you just wipe out the other late fees. And they used to do it for us. 
So then I'd be like, well, hell, I'm going to just rent stuff and keep it forever, and we'll just negotiate and not have to pay it ever again. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, that's also a felony charge in Missouri. Failure to return rented or at least property. Uh, oh. Wow. I uh, Guys, I, pro- I promise you that I have movies. But the good news is it's from a, a company that's no longer in business. But that also happened to this woman. Family video? Yeah. I guarantee you I had stuff that's still rented out that I never returned. Charges have been dropped, and apparently her boyfriend was the one that rented it back in the day. Man, that's brutal. That you, you remember you had the card. <laughs> First you of had all, the blockbuster card yeah. that you would like. You yeah, would rent things remember. off of. Why, so, why is her boyfriend renting Sabrina the Teenage Witch? That's a fair question. Are we sure? Are we sure it was Sabrina? Are we sure it was in the kids section and not in the adult section? It's another fair question, right? So in my junk drawer today. Well. Speaking of the adult section, what? a Japanese, <laughs> Japanese man of that. has been arrested for dating 35 women. That's illegal? Apparently. At the same, same time? Yeah. So according to a story out in Tokyo, a serial dater has been arrested in Japan after defrauding 35 women at the same time while receiving gifts and cards from all of them. He's 39 years old. He is a part-time worker with no fixed address, and apparently he does work for some kind of water company, and a total of 35 different victims were identified, with possibly more coming forward. They gave him different types of gifts because apparently they were expecting that there would be some kind of marriage that was coming in the future. And this gentleman with 35 different women was maintaining relationships in which all of them were of the opinion that they were going to marry this man. Can you imagine? I have a hard time keeping communication and knowing what my schedule looks like with my fiance. Well, you should get a better app for that. 35 different women at the same time. Do you have like a schedule where it's, hey, lunch this day with this one, dinner this day with Tracy, uh, breakfast this day with Lucy? How do you keep track of all this stuff? I see nothing I'm wrong. I'm more impressed than anything. Yeah, I was going to say, I see nothing wrong with this. The man found a way to work the system and be able to go on a bunch of dates and get gifts. I I can't believe this is illegal I, in imp- Japan. I'm yeah, impressed. is it really illegal? <laughs> Apparently. So it's illegal to date multiple women. I... The story says it's it's because it, he defrauded them, but I'm not. But how does sure. he defraud them? I'm not, it's not sure. Like he's stealing why. their identity. Yeah, I I don't totally understand. He swindled them out of various amounts of money, clothing, and other types of gifts. But it sounds <laughs> like they were gifts, so I'm confused as to how that would apply. From the three one four, dang it, I can't even get one date. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get on Tinder, my yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Tinder's where Tinder. it's at, right? Ask Tanner about super it. Super swipe, super swipe, baby. Super swipe all of them. That's how Tanner works. How's that going for you right now, Tanner? You know, the super swipes aren't so super. You just swiping just to swipe? At this point, yeah. How many different dating apps are there now? Oh, I know there's like Tinder, Bumble. Farmersonly.com. Heard something about the that. The fact that Farmersonly.com's commercials for it cracks me up. Did we, did, didn't we forget about the most, not the most important, but like the first one? What's the first one? eHarmony. The, oh, yeah, well, yeah. Match.com. But those are, those are websites. Those aren't apps. I think you can download an app. Well, yeah, technically everything can be okay, an app. Cupid? Is that a thing? You guys heard of Meet Me? I think okay, here's we no. need to come up with a segment here. We need to sign T Bone up. No, this on is not all a segment. And weekly, get have, an update? A, have a dating update. Oh, I like this. We might be able to like play matchmaker for Tanner. Coffee meets bagel. That sounds dirty. I don't think that's a dating app. <laughs> um, 
for well, people no, who can't make bagel. decisions, you should join the app SHIP, S-H-I-P. Hinge, <laughs> it's very important to make sure you look at that. S-H-I-P. Hinge is one. The League is another one. Jeez, how many Tanner, of these League. things do we have? Tanner, we need to sign you up for all of these, and then weekly we get an update from Ooh, you. For non-monogamous daters, Field, F-E-E-L-D. That's genius. Play the field. That's what we need to get for Tanner. This, I bet you this guy out in Japan, he was working on field. He was field. <laughs> he was for Tanner, sure. listen to all the gifts that you can get if you do this. Guys, I can't even keep track of my own schedule. How can I keep up with... You legitimately go home and eat hot dogs while you watch baseball games. Whoa, whoa, that's such a broad assumption. Am I wrong? Oh, yeah. This, so there, we have more uh, more updates on this story from oh. the 636. Why, is he a part of it? Apparently he had an Excel spreadsheet. He kept track and charged. He was charged with fraud for lying about his birthday. He told them all that he had a different birthday, so he was always getting the birthday gifts rolling in. But Nice. But I don't understand why that's... He's not doing anything. He's As, setting up dates. He's scheduling 35 dates. This is like setting up on different apps, different birthdays. So that way you can get the birthday treat. Yeah. Like you go to Starbucks and they give you the free coffee, right? Like as long as he's not. Well, hey, that's a genius idea, actually. As long Just as he's not murdering anyone, I don't accounts. see what the problem is. Well, I think there should be a little bit more of a standard, but no murder is the worst. The worst case scenario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll definitely be setting up a dating segment yes. with, Al- with Tanner Hendricks with soon. Ferrari. No, don't do that. <laughs> I'm a kid. No, no, no. <laughs> Coming up next, did Saturday's win give you faith that the Blues can do more than just make the playoffs? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. That'll do it. Bring out the Zamboni. Blues get a 5-3 win over Colorado. Jump over Arizona for that fourth playoff spot. We'll see what happens with the Coyotes later on today. Spoiler, the Coyotes won. Son of a... I was going to go back and watch that game. Sorry. If you T-vote it, I just saved you three hours. <laughs> we appreciate you doing that. That's Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Blues win a big one on Saturday night against the Colorado Avalanche. Blues now uh, technically a point back of the Coyotes, but with three games in hand. So they're in a really good spot right now for fourth place in the West Division. The question that I wanted to ask you guys is, what did that game, what did that win do for you in terms of your faith in this team because I think there's a pretty good chance that the blues are going to make the playoffs now. I, I I'm not guaranteeing it, but if you look at the odds, it's like 50, Someone 50 changes to someone's on a roller coaster. Yeah. How it's, did you do it? We, we, it's a, it's a lack of faith in the coyotes as much as it is a faith in the blues. But when they get there, if they get there, Alex, do you have faith that they're going to be able to do something like they're going to be playing against either the golden Knights or the avalanche when they make the postseason? Do you think they actually have a shot in those series? And did Saturday's game give you more faith that they can? Yes. Um, And honestly, before Saturday's game, I had faith that they could do something in the playoffs if they got in because playoffs are a different beast. And I know people say, well, you can't just flip the switch. Yeah, that's true. But you also can flip the switch in the playoffs. We've seen it done before. Um, But if you're playing good hockey, even if the results aren't showing, you still can play that way in the playoffs. It's a different animal. Um, And I think the Blues match up well against the Colorado Avalanche. Now, with that being said, they were without their top goal scorer. They were without their number one goaltender. And And a 15-goal scorer on the third line as well. And despite that victory you had to play 
and you won that game from your captain scoring all of the goals. So there still has to be a little bit more buy-in from the other guys before I can sit here and confidently say that they can do some damage in the playoffs. Anything can happen. But before I get to that point, you got to see follow, you got to see a victory followed up by the same performance because that's been the issue for this Blues team. Even when we saw a three-game win streak, it dipped off. So we got to see some type of consistency, which is why this one's going to be intriguing tonight because not only are you playing a um, shorthanded Colorado team because they're without Brandon Saad tonight, but you're also going to be shorthanded yourself now without Colton Pareko and Vince Dunn. So how do they perform with these injuries? That's going to be a real telling sign. Yeah, I'm with you. It, it's going to be telling how they respond tonight. Can they put back-to-back performances together? And honestly, if they can avoid that slow start, then that would be even a little bit better to add into that. But I won't have a really great feel for whether or not this Blues team is going to be able to compete with the Colorado or Vegas team in the first round of the playoffs until we get into that very final five-game stretch. Because when you look at when I look at the NHL, I always look at like the playoffs and I say, who's who's hot? Whoever comes into the playoffs playing really well usually goes on a run. So if the Blues come in and they're staggering like they have, I don't think there's any chance that they have. But if they start to put something together and it looks good on the ice for four or five straight games then yeah, then I will buy in and say, you know what, they have a chance, anything can happen. But right now, if I had to say right now, I would say no. I don't think they look competitive enough to take down Colorado or Vegas in the I first round. I do think crowds are helping this team, too. Like I mentioned earlier, they fed off the crowds in that last game. And they going- stunk at home all year. This is ridiculous. Yeah, but they're getting more people in the stands. I mean, The more the merrier. Uh, it, hey, you could ask anybody who was in attendance because I had people that were commenting after that game on post game saying they fed off of that crowd. I'm sure they did, but it, oh, that, geez, it, I've got to see again. more than one game where the crowd was meaningful for them to be able to really buy into that. God, you just you love cardboard cutouts, don't you? BK? No, I think the crowd should matter. It hasn't mattered for the entirety of the season, though. And so I'm not buying in just like the three games that everybody was all in on at, before the trade deadline. I'm not buying in after one game that that the crowd is somehow going to be the elixir of life for the Blues. Somebody from the 636 says, hey, somebody call a chiropractor for BK. His back has got to be hurting getting on and off of the Blues bandwagon. I'm not like sick burn. I'm not back leading the charge for the Blues that they're a great team now. And to answer my own question back on that seat. And to answer my own question, no, I'm not a believer that the Blues are going to be able to compete head-to-head against the Avalanche or the Knights. I would like to be proven wrong, but for me to sit here today and say that them beating the Avalanche on Saturday changes nothing for their playoff chances, that would be silly. Because that was a huge, huge win and one that I wasn't expecting. And so to see them do that on Saturday night, get those two points, yeah, that changes the implications for the playoff race. Moving forward, though, it was nice to see. It also took, what was it, the third career hat trick from Ryan O'Reilly, the second one of the season. It took a borderline all-time great effort from your captain to be able to win that game against a really good team that was without their top goal scorer, without their top goalie, without a uh, third-line player that would have helped them as well. So, no, that's not going to change my opinion on what this team's going to do in the playoffs. It might, however, get me to jump on board with what Alex Ferrario was saying all of last week. It's time to put Mike Hoffman on the first play or first power play unit. It's time to get him a little bit more time on that because for all of my critique, credit where it is due, Mike Hoffman's been really good, really productive for this team since coming back from those healthy scratches in five games, he has five goals and two assists and is a plus one on the ice. And he's been excellent for them on the power play. Alex, it's time. 
now to get back to where he was and put him on that first power play unit. It, it's it's past time, frankly. A hundred percent. And I think the Blues coaching staff is leaning in that direction also because that's what we saw that five on three goal. And maybe they switched that up because it was five on three. By the way, 2016, December of 2016 was the last time the Blues scored a five on three goal in regulation or in the regular season. Wow. Like that's crazy. But anyway, you got to take... In my opinion, you got to take either David Perron or Vladimir Tarasenko off of that top unit and put Mike Hoffman on it because Mike Hoffman is that one-time threat. I would lean more towards Vladimir Tarasenko because Vladdy, who is an excellent goal scorer, he just doesn't take that one-timer. And the one-time option always has the goaltender leaning heavily in that direction. Look at how they always play against the Washington Capitals. Alex Ovechkin, the goalie, is always leaning that direction for that one-time shot. They set him up nonstop. So if David per, or if, if Mike Hoffman is set up on that near side for the one-timer, then you're going to have more opportunities to get to the puck to the net on other options or get Mike Hoffman the shot. So if you want to win hockey games, and look, if you go back to the last couple of games, of course they win that one because of the power play. The game prior to Colorado, they could have tied it up because of three power plays they had in the third period and they couldn't get it done. you got to start with that number one unit and have Mike Hoffman out there because you have the best passer on the team. You have one of the best defensemen at the power play on that, on that group. And you have a big body and Braden Shen go into the net. I'd have Mike Hoffman on that unit so we can get those one timers for what it's worth. It's going to be a tough one for the blues tonight. Craig Berube said earlier today that Pareko and Dunn are both expected to be out tonight and he's not sure how long they're going to be out for. So it sounds like that could be a little bit more long-term than we would like. He also said that Tori Krug, who did not skate with the team this morning is going to be a game time decision. So that would be a bummer to miss out on him as well. It could be three of your six defensemen out of the lineup tonight. Alex, if it is a long-term thing for Pareko, and done how much does that change your belief in this team being able to make the playoffs because Pareko has been a huge piece of him turning this thing around yeah he's been an asset since he has returned and losing Colton Pareko is going to be tough because you're losing that big reach um so that does alter it a little bit of your chances I still think they could get in because you played this season without Colton Pareko um but it's going to be difficult to overcome Vince Dunn's an interesting one too because he's your he's been your offense he's got a point streak going to six or seven games I think so losing him is going to be an offensive challenge for you but you hope that the guys that are stepping in can step up to that challenge. Jake Wallman has been getting a lot of confidence from the coaching staff. He's been taking a lot of shots, so maybe he can provide a little offense for you. Maybe it's an opportunity for Tory Krug to take that next step if he's able to play. Um, so I think it's more of a blow to lose Colton Pareko, but I think the Blues can overcome that, especially tonight. They're going with seven defensemen, and I think that's mostly because Craig Berube has options to rotate guys in and out of that, uh, of those those shifts out there, you know, you got Robert Bortuzzo, who's a penalty killer. Uh, this guy that might be playing Steve Santini, uh, six foot two guy who's played in the NHL. So you got another big body out there. So going with seven defensemen, I mean, it, it helps a little bit, but it's still a loss without Colton Pareko. Blues are thirteen nine and two with Pareko in the lineup. They are seven ten and four this season when he is not in the lineup, and they will be without him tonight. Blues versus Avalanche, six o'clock puck drop. You've got pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario coming up on your home for the Blues one one ESPN at five o'clock. It is one fifteen. Your time check. Brett Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, let's play a game of in or out. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line in or out is next on 101 espn this is the bk and ferrario podcast now here's bk and ferrario and ferrario 
65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out. Let's start with this one, guys. In or out, Tommy Edmond has been the Cardinals MVP so far this year. I'm in on that. He's been he looks great at the plate. He solidified the leadoff spot, which was a question mark heading into the season. He can probably play every position. He could probably pitch too if we needed in a pinch. So I was actually shocked over the weekend that they said he's not their backup catcher. That was stunning to me. Oh, the backup emergency catcher? Yeah. Oh, he definitely is. He is if you need him to. There's no there's no shot he's not the back emergency Apparently backup catcher. Apparently he's not, according to Mike Schilt. Who is? There was a depth chart like in pro football. Like He'd be under each one. Like each He's third one. string on each, uh, each position, even the pitching. I'll have to look back to see who it was. Sosa. It was Edmundo Sosa. Is there an so, emergency Sosa's catcher? Sosa's emergency that's, backup yeah. catcher? That's because he's not going to play anywhere else, so you need him to be the backup backup <laughs> catcher. What just happened? Alex just have a stroke. And, and my words... In or out, Tommy Edmond is their MVP so far this year, Alex. This is the point where you answer. I get it. I can't think, apparently. Um, you want me to fill the gap there real quick? Yeah, for you? go for it. A uh, little tease. Tommy Edmond on the Danny Mac show with BK. Tomorrow, oh, 1030. Oh. How about okay. that? Well, since he's not on our show, then I'll say no. Yeah, Tommy Edmond's the MVP. A part of me wanted to go Alex Reyes, because if you think... Listen, hear me out for a minute. Like I can't find the strike zone. Yeah, but look at how what? many close games we've had, and he's been able to close things down for you. Didn't they just play their first one-score game, like, five days ago? Yeah, that's true. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> it occurred last week. I yeah, love that was last week. No, I'm done with this. I'm done with this game because he just called me out. I'm done. Uh, I'm going to go with he is definitely the MVP. Did you guys know he has reached base safely in 20 of their 21 games so far this year. Oh, that's pretty good. He's been hit by a pitch in one game. He took walks in two others where he didn't have hits. There's been one game so far this year. It was their two to nothing loss against Philly where he did not reach base at it. Oh no, he reached base on an error in that game. He has reached base safely at some point in every single game so far this year. That's insane. We're 21 games into the season. I would say, yeah, it's fair to say that he's the MVP so far this year. But Yachty. I was going to say, Yachty's pretty close based on the way he's played, and he hit, was hitting cleanup before yeah. this weekend. Are you going to call me out on that one, too? No, that, that one makes fair. That, that one's, one's a better, better submission. Look at here. how many games he hasn't had a hit in, Ferrario. Tom Orff mentioned this on Twitter over the weekend. I was stunned to see it. Tommy Edmond joined David Eckstein as the only Cardinals in the last 40 years to start 21 straight games at the beginning of the season batting leadoff for the team. That's 21 surprising. straight games to start the year batting leadoff. Because didn't didn't John Jay have a run of being a leadoff guy for a while? I yeah, think but the I, thing is, playing every day. And I think he went back crazy and forth with Carpenter, too, at that time. Oh, yeah. That's, well, even then, I would think Carpenter would be pretty close to that. Well, but Carpenter went back and forth with Fowler at the time. And he got days off. That's mm-hmm. the other thing. Is like the, the fact that Tommy Edmond has had zero days off so far this year is also a part of the story, you know? I mean, he's had fewer days off than Yachty or Molina. He's not allowed to have days off. I, I think the only guys that have played in every game is Arnado and Tommy Edmund. I think those are the only two, if I'm not mistaken, because Yachty's been out. Goldie had the back injury. Otherwise, he's played in every and game. And there was that one There was that one game, game where John Carlson got the day off as well. DeYoung so got a day that's off. that's right. I think they're the only two that have played Carlson in. ended up getting into Paul that DeYoung game. Paul DeYoung got a day off? I don't think Paul DeYoung has. Yeah, because uh, Soso yeah, got a start so, so, one day yeah. on a 
day yeah. game. So the only guys that have appeared in every game so far is Williams, Arenado, Edmund, and Carlson. They've oh, appeared Williams in every been, game. Oh, well appeared. Okay. Not started, but appeared in a game at some point throughout. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out. In or out, Madison Bumgarner, seven inning no hitter yesterday, should qualify as a no hitter in the record book. Tanner, we'll start with you, my man. Didn't I say I would have been in on this earlier on the Danny Mac yeah, show? Yeah, but I don't believe it. Yeah, yeah I think I've changed my mind. Al, you've got to play nine innings for it. And there was a great saying, I can't remember, it's something about going to church and baseball's meant for nine innings. What? Amen to that. What's I don't remember. What the hell it was just on the happened? text line. I'm going to get shirts made once I find it again. Oh, okay, that's that's confusing as hell. Of course it's supposed to be a no-hitter. Look up the definition of no-hitter. A complete game in which a pitcher yields no hits to the opposing team. In nine innings? No. It there's no there's nothing that. about nine innings, and that's coming from Oxford Dictionary. You don't <laughs> argue Oxford Dictionary, T-Bone. It doesn't matter if it's seven innings, nine innings, five innings. It's a no-hitter. Seven innings are so stupid. What happens if the, if the starting pitcher's pulled and the bullpen gets no hits through seven games or nine games? It's still considered a game no-hitter. But the guy gets through seven innings. That's a full game. Mad Bum it's didn't even appreciate what he did yesterday. That's you because guys the man doesn't comments? appreciate anything. Mad, yeah, Mad Bum was saying the thanks to Shadows and thanks to Manford. Let him go out there and pitch nine. That's what stinks. It's not counted but as a no innings. hitter. It's not counted as a no hitter. It is in counted the baseball though as rule. a complete game. It that's is. the thing that is. It, it shouldn't be. If you're going to count it as a complete game, you've also got to count it as a no-hitter. Because it counted for Wayno last year when they came out yeah. of the quarantine and they needed it the most. His yeah, game you're counted not, you're on not, a, as a complete game. You're not taking away anything from the guys who pitched nine innings. They just did it two more innings because that was the full game. If that would have been nine innings, he would have gone back How out there. How are you there. not taking anything away? That's a much harder feat than seven innings. That's fine, well, but he did exactly what it's outs. supposed to be considered a no-hitter. You pitched an entire game without giving up a hit. I'm out. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out, the Patriots are the best landing spot possible for Justin Fields. So there was a report today from Albert Breer of the Monday Morning Quarterback on Sports Illustrated. He said that the Patriots have at least touched base with multiple teams in the top 10. The big question on most teams' minds is whether or not Belichick will get aggressive if, say, Justin Fields would be there around number seven or number eight in or out. The best possible landing spot for Justin Fields in this year's draft is the New England Patriots. Part of me wants to say no, because like, as much as they want to shift to a mobile quarterback system, Josh McDaniels has found success along with Bill Belichick with that stationary quarterback. So I feel like the best destination for the Patriots would have Mac Jones there but for Justin Fields that's what I'm saying yeah but for Justin Fields I feel like you might be better off in a San Francisco system with a guy with a little more creativity in Kyle Shanahan Sounds like the they're to, down to Mac Jones or Trey Lance. I think Trey According Lance to all makes of the reports. crazy. Well, didn't Vegas' sportsbook, though, say. have Fields as the At one third point, yeah. quarterback taken? They were I, wrong. I, I think Justin Fields would be better off in San Francisco with a little more creativity, but that's just me. I think that he's perfect in New England. I, he can throw the ball, and sure, they, they are. I agree with you, Alex. They have liked a stationary quarterback more in the past, but... I think we saw some hints, especially early in the season with Cam Newton. Before he had COVID, we saw what they could run in offense with a quarterback that could run. He can't throw. Now imagine adding in fields that can throw the ball much better than Cam Newton. So I'll say in. I think Justin Fields makes a ton of sense to go to New England. I think that there are there are three teams that I think are the best fits, but I'm going to narrow it down to two for you. 
I think Denver, Carolina, and New England are the three best options for him. But I'm going to eliminate Denver just because I think that their coaching is not quite at the same level as Carolina or New England's. I think you can make a strong case that Carolina is actually the best possible landing spot for Justin Fields, though. You've got really good receivers. DJ Moore is out there. You've also got a fantastic young offensive mind that you can work with as your offensive coordinator with Joe Brady. I think Carolina is the best possible landing spot. But if you can't go there, if you're going with somebody that would be trading up, I would go with New England. I think you'd be a great fit there. And if the rest of the league allows that to happen, they deserve everything that's coming because he's going to be good for them. We know how that's going to go. Uh, whether it's the best fit or not, doesn't much matter. He'll be good for New England if he lands there. Next one up for you guys in or out. Julio Jones needs to be on the Baltimore Ravens by the end of the week. Peter King reported earlier today said, I can't predict any bombshells, but... A few things that would not surprise me. Most notably, it wouldn't surprise me if the Falcons put together the framework of a trade that includes Julio Jones going elsewhere. He said that he thinks that it would include draft picks for next year going to the um, Atlanta Falcons. Guys, in or out, the Ravens are the best possible landing spot for Julio Jones if he's traded. I'm going to say out. I want to say I I think Miami's better. I think Miami's a really good spot for him. Baltimore, I I think Baltimore's a good fit too. He's that's probably my second. I think if you give that Miami team a good wide receiver and Tua, even though I'm not big on Tua, man, can you imagine if they add like Jalen Waddle and Julio Jones? That'd be or if they take Kyle Pitts. Yeah, either way, that'd be amazing. I'd say out too. I like the Miami one. Part of this feels. This feels 100% like New England Patriots territory. Oh, yeah. This feels like 100% Bill Belichick saying, ah, we'll take them. They're going to end up with Justin Fields and Julio Jones, aren't they? So I would say... What a combo. I would say... Well, and then you got the two tight ends that they signed in the offseason. These guys are going back to the Super Bowl again. Well, let's not get crazy here. Um, I could see it. Out, by the way. I think the best fit is Green Bay. I think he That's would be just a, not fair. I think That's he would disgusting. be a lot of fun. That's just not fair to see in Green Bay. I do not think that the Falcons would make that trade, though. I don't think they would trade him within the same conference. Another one that does make oh a l- what if he goes to Tampa? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. There's no way they trade him within the division, though. Maybe within the conference, no chance in the division. They hate each other in that division. Indianapolis is another one that you makes a lot someone of sense. all you want, but if they give you a nice package for it, I'd hey, trade them no matter what. Give me a couple first-round picks. Yeah. I'll give you whatever you, give you want. Give me three first-rounders. Let's do it. That's a good point. I think the best fit, though, is the Ravens. They need a guy like that. Wow. They've been missing out on receivers. Let's find out if Lamar, if it's on him or if it's the receivers. I'm amazed you that. didn't say Kansas City. They had Des Bryant. That's true. Exactly. Des Bryant. Des Bryant. washed up version. Yeah. Oh. Des Bryant is past his prime. I think the Chiefs are a sleeper team on this. I'll, I'll go ahead and say that. Uh, last thing for you guys. Just going to slide right past that. Wow. In or out, the 49ers are actually going to draft Mac Jones. The closer we get, the more it's kind of leaning towards this once again. Ian Rappaport of NFL Network reported yesterday that the belief in San Francisco is that they have narrowed down their focus on either Alabama quarterback Mac Jones or North Dakota State quarterback Trey Lance. Are you in or out that the 49ers are actually going to do this? They're going to take Alabama quarterback Mac Jones. You believe in? Yeah, I think I'm believing. As much as I want to say they're going to be the smart pick and go Trey Lance or Justin Fields, it really feels like they have set this up for Mac Jones. The only part of me that feels 
like tinfoil Ferrario wants to come out and say that they are trying to like do the ultimate side swipe of saying, oh, yeah, look, we did a personal workout for him. We basically set up his pro. We're just we're trying to get somebody to be desperate for him so that we can go down a pick or two, get the guy we want, but also get more assets with it. But I'll stick with in. I I think he's going to be a a Falcon by the end of this draft. I'm going to say out. I think they go Trey Lance. I think Trey Lance makes the most sense for San Francisco. I heard something. I think it was Greeny that said it, and it made a ton of sense. It's the perfect model to do what Kansas City did when they drafted Mahomes. You have a veteran quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo. Have him start for a year. You have have him build back up his trade stock if if he plays well. Of course, you've got yep. a great offensive mind in Kyle Shanahan, and then you and then you have Lance sitting there, who's probably he's. I don't think he's ready to be a starter. You can't slide him in day one, I don't think. But have him sit there, learn the offense, sit behind Jimmy G, and then in a year you trade Garoppolo and then you start Lance. It feels like the Kansas City thing what they do with Mahomes I really think they're going to go with Trey Lance and now that he's in these reports I think it definitely leans towards him now I'm even more on the side of Julio Jones is going to be traded because you can't have two Jones on one team you can't have an M Jones and a J Jones you got to have one Jones okay um it's a thing I'm still going to be out on Mac Jones being the pick I I will not believe this until the moment that it is announced and even then I'm still going to be questioning if they got it right like they might have done it. In case think he's in like an ultimate or no, not ultimate, alternate reality. Well, remember when it was, wasn't it La La Land that was announced as the best picture and it was supposed to be Moonlight? Like I'm going to believe that they pulled one of those situations where they just, it was the wrong envelope. There's no way they got this Did right. Did you just La La Land me with football? Oh, it was the Oscars. It was few, I feel like it's noteworthy given the fact that last night was the Oscars. They you, got they they announced the wrong best picture. It's like when Steve Harvey announced the wrong winner. It's like I'm so sorry we got this wrong. You look like a guy who would watch it the is, Oscars. It's gonna be right after Mac Jones. Yeah, Oh, yeah. If I'm from Mike Ryder, I forgot watched them, too. I had not seen many of the movies last night. I got to be honest with you. Normally, I can say I've seen a decent number of them. Last night, I was like, I couldn't even tell you. Seems well, like a great performance let's, to me. Let's test it. Did you see La La Land, Tanner? Um, oh, well, that, I, was, that was like five years ago. Yeah. That's what I'm asking. I've seen parts of it, but then I think I fell asleep or left. I'm okay. not quite sure which happened. By the way, to answer the question directly, I'm out on Mac Jones. I do think it's going to be Trey Lance. I'm with you, Tanner. I'm not going to believe that they traded three first-round picks for Mac Jones until it actually happens. And even then, i got to see him in a jersey hey, first. We've seen his arm. Yep. We'll Cannon see. We'll, alert. And we'll know if Julio Jones was traded. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll cross things over with the fast lane. Coming up next, the morning show talks about this today. It's an interesting question. Bigger miss for the Cardinals. Max Scherzer? Or Fernando Tatis Jr. We'll give our answers next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. All right, so the morning show asked this question earlier today, and I found it to be pretty interesting coming off of the Cardinals series with the Nationals and the Fernando Tatis weekend, which was, I don't know how much you guys were able to watch of it. Unbelievable. So he's cheating. Whoa. Okay. Whoa. Oh, no, it was. What's he cheating about? He was looking he was at the signs. Stealing signs. It's fine. It, cover him up better. Welcome to baseball. Um, at least he didn't use a trash can. He's incredible. So the morning show spent a lot of time on this. Bigger miss for the Cardinals. Was it not signing Fernando Tatis Jr. as a prospect or 
not signing Max Scherzer when he was a free agent back in 2015. So let me give you a little bit of the background here on these two players. Scherzer signed in 2015 to a massive contract with the uh, Washington Nationals. Tatis also signed in 2015 as an amateur. So he was the number 27 overall international prospect that season. He signed for like $800,000 with the White Sox. He was then traded a year later in the James Shields trade. That's how we ended up in San Diego. So now that we have that set up for you guys, which do you think was the bigger miss for the Cardinals? Boy, I I mean, look, you can't go wrong with either of these, but I think for me, I would say Fernando Tatis Jr. is the bigger miss. Uh, and, And I understand that. Max Scherzer is a Hall of Fame pitcher and was a Hall of Fame pitcher at the time that he signed and he led them to a World Series and you're taking a shot on a young player like Fernando Tatis Jr. But Max Scherzer has an impact one every five days. Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to have an impact in 150, 160, 162 games in a season. And look at what he has done with San Diego up until this point. Your starting shortstop in 2015 was Johnny Peralta. Now, Paul DeYoung was coming, but Paul DeYoung wasn't looked at as the guy. Aledmus Diaz was the next shortstop that took over. Basically, you had guys that stole the position that weren't expected to be everyday players. Fernando Tatis Jr. was a superstar in the making, and that was with the understanding that you know the Cardinals were dealing with the loss of a young superstar that they thought was going to kind of take over. So Tatis Jr. was a, a pillar of a franchise if you're able to get that guy. Max Scherzer is as well, but I think you can look at the rotation and say they had guys that were coming up, but you don't have a guy like Fernando Tatis Jr. in your system. So I'd say he was the bigger miss. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Fernando Tatis is the bigger miss because, like you said, Scherzer goes once every five days. And sure, Tatis was more of a unknown compared to Scherzer because Scherzer had the background, got the contract. Tatis did not. He was like an amateur. So I look at it and I say, yeah, Tatis is definitely that guy because he has the bigger impact. And also, we've talked about it a lot. The Cardinals do pretty well in developing their own pitching. It's that offensive side that we've looked at in the past couple of years and said they haven't really developed a homegrown talent, really. I mean, you could say Paul DeYoung, but I would argue he's not there yet because he's kind of been a letdown since his 2019 season. And then I would, Tommy Edmond might be that. We'll see what Tommy Edmond does if he can continue this. But you haven't developed really anybody that's become a superstar. You've had to go get them. You had to go get Paul Goldschmidt. You had to go get Nolan Arnauto. And I get it. They they had Yachty, but it's at that time where you needed that next that next superstar. Yachty's on the tail end of his career. You don't have that guy that's entering his prime. That's why I think Tatis is the bigger miss. I think Tatis, it is fair to say, is the bigger miss. I don't think it's totally fair, though, to criticize the Cardinals front office for either of these two. I think there's a lot of context that is sometimes missed, especially with the Max Scherzer one. With the Fernando Tatis Jr. one, it's $800,000. He projected to at least be a a potential really good player. And the family was trying to get the Cardinals to sign him like they sure. wanted him to. I, I get all of that. And so I think there's a little bit more worthwhile critique there. But with Scherzer, he ended up signing a seven-year, $210 million deal. And at the time, the Cardinals in their rotation had... Lackey, Carlos, Walker, um, Lynn, Jaime, and Wayno. They also had their top prospects list that year. Flaherty, Reyes, Marco, Weaver, Tui, Woodford, Gomber, Alcantara. 
I mean, how am I going to go out and sign a $200 million pitcher when that's what I've got waiting for me? We look back on it now and it's like, yeah, well, Marco ended up elsewhere. Weaver ended up elsewhere. Tui wasn't what they thought he was going to be. Woodford still hasn't made a huge impact. Gomber's gone. Alcantara's gone. I get all of that. But at the time, that's not how they were looking at it. At the time, they saw their organizational pitching depth. And this is when we really started looking at that stuff. We were like, man, it looks really good for the future of the Cardinals. Injuries started taking place. A couple of guys got older quicker than you expected. They ended up having to sign Mike Leake. We all know what the story ends up being. But it's hard for me to critique them for not signing Max Scherzer at the time when they thought they had their pitching set up for the next decade. And they were somewhat right, too. Alcantara's been really good, but you had to move him because you didn't develop the talent offensively. So Alcantara probably would have fit in well with the Cardinals. So, yeah, I can understand that when you look at the Scherzer thing, you had those guys in the system, so it made a ton of sense at the time. And they looked at Flaherty as an ace of the staff even when he was young. I mean, and same with Reyes. I mean, you technically had two aces on your staff. Oh, and by the way, at that time, you saw Michael Waka's performance in the playoffs and were like, oh, okay, this dude's going to be a stud. So, I mean, you were fighting for guys to have spots in the rotation at the time, and I get it. He was a Hall of Fame pitcher, and you never pass up on that. You can never have enough pitching. But you also can never have enough prospects who are viewed as the top prospect in all of Major League Baseball. You can never have enough guys who are viewed as a five-tool player. And Fernando Tatis Jr., from the moment he was drafted, was viewed as a, as a guy who was going to be a mainstay in a lineup. So when you when you have a player like that that can change a game on a nightly basis on top of bringing people to the ballpark on a nightly basis, that's something that I think as an organization, it, it's a major whiff if you don't go after it. Yeah, and you look back at the Scherzer thing, or excuse me, the uh, the Tatis thing, and the Cardinals did make a big international free agent signing that year. It was Rafi Ozuna. Uh, that was the one that they went with. He was a shortstop, so they basically chose him over Fernando Tatis Jr. And I don't even know who that is. Yeah, obviously since then, the He's fact that really good. you don't recognize the name is <laughs> a just, little problematic. I just legitimately Googled that name and nothing popped up, so... I also wonder what Fernando Tatis Jr. would be if he came up through this system as opposed to through the Padre system. I mean, we talk about it all the time. They haven't really done a whole lot of develop, a developing of the young superstar position players. I don't know what he would be if he came up through the Cardinal system. That's not to suggest that he would have been bad, but would he have been the same guy that he was with the Padres? Probably not. May have been better at certain things. Probably a little bit better defender, more sure-handed defender, I would think, coming up through this organization. But I don't know. I don't know what he would have been here in St. Louis. Would it be fair to say, and I'm not saying that he would be this or whatever, but would it be fair to say that the cop maybe to look at him if he came up through the system might be Carlson and his trajectory? Trajectory, yeah, maybe. But he was more raw. Like Carlson, when he came in, he was a prospect from the bat. Yeah, and so I I don't know. I mean, he was the 28th overall international prospect that year, Fernando Tatis Jr. We look back, and now with the hindsight, we're like, well, he was clearly going to be a star. It's not how it was viewed whenever he was an international free agent. He was he was considered to be a really good one, but not a can't-miss guy. Uh, not like Luis Robert, uh, Robert for the White Sox. It wasn't on that level by any stretch. So it's hard for me to critique either one. Although if you're saying that they, if I had to go with bigger miss, I would go Fernando Tatis Jr. for sure, out of the two of them. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll cross things over with the fast lane next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Time now for the crossover. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Close to home or close to work. For quality tires and expert auto service, you can always count on Dobbs.
missing from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page. It's all presented by I Promise. Katie Wu joined us earlier today. She's going to join us weekly throughout the baseball season. Great conversation with her. We also had Larry Boa, former Phillies player, manager, and coach. All of that, again, found on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. Crossing things over now with the fast lane. Stoltz, what's good, man? Yeah, it was good weekends. Good weekend for the local teams. Pretty nice weather. Yesterday was beautiful out, so it's a good weekend. A lot of football stuff, too. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much you guys are going to be talking about this later today, but this is one of the more intriguing NFL drafts in a really long time. Yeah. And a lot of that is because of the quarterbacks, because when you have the potential for four guys going in the top four, we've never seen that before. But it's also like the top guy, top non-quarterback in this draft is probably a tight end in Kyle Pitts. Right. That's pretty rare. There's not really a whole lot of edge rushers that are expected to go high. There's a bunch of wide receivers that we've seen play at a really high level. It, it's a really intriguing class to me to see kind of how this thing shakes up over the next, I guess, three days now before the draft. Well, the QBs, you touched upon it. Yeah, yeah. so four QBs could go four, but we don't know who's going to be three, which yep. is really intriguing. So nobody's talking, and this always happens, right? Like nobody's talking about Trevor Lawrence because we know where he's going. Nobody's really talking now about Zach Wilson, who I love, but he's a huge question mark, as big of a question mark as as any of the top quarterbacks in this league's draft or this year's draft but he's going to the Jets so you cross him off then what if 49ers do a three apparently according to report the latest reports and I don't know if I'm buying this like you don't make you don't you don't trade BT and I were talking about this you don't make a trade up to three if you if you don't know who you're going to take so Schefter reported earlier today he was on his podcast and he said his understanding is that they made the trade up with the understanding that they were going to get Mac Jones right and Shanahan since, apparently loves Mac Jones. Correct. And since then, with all of the different workouts, the interviews that they've done, Trey Lance has made a really significant impression on Shanahan and the front office as well. So, again, it's lying season. Who knows how much of that is true versus uh, fabricated. But it sounds like it's between the two of them. Right. If you had to guess today, what do you think they do at three, San I've Francisco? Got, I've got the wager with both Jamie and BT that they will not take Mac Jones third. And they, they were smart. BT and Jamie were smart because instead of just allowing me to have Trey Lance or Justin Fields, who would be the, the, the next guy that, you know, if the 49ers don't take Mac Jones, it's going to be one of those guys. Mm-hmm. They, they forced me to take somebody. So I took Trey Lance. I think that sounds like that's the guy. You're I, right. I would think so too. So we'll see. So I think that they're, I still, I'm going to just stick with my guns here and say that they wouldn't have moved up to three to take Mac Jones. Because here's the thing, and Jamie asked me this in the office. I'd love to get your take on this, BK. If Mac Jones does not go third overall, how far does he fall? It's a great question. It's something that I've been thinking a lot about. Um, I I say he falls out of the top 15. Oh, I don't know that he falls that far. I think you would see a team trade up for him, if nothing else. I think Denver might take him at nine. Hmm. I don't know, though, because George Payton, their new general manager... We don't know what he wants in a, in a quarterback. He has no history. It's the first time he's been a GM, but right. he was in Minnesota where they had Kirk Cousins. Does that mean that he wants his next Kirk Cousins, or does that mean he wants to get as far away from Kirk Cousins? I, I don't know, honestly. Um, but Carolina, Denver, Detroit, I could see any of those three taking him. I could also see New England trading up to be able to get him. So I think he goes top 15 still. I think it's towards the back half of the top 10, though. It all it goes back to what you said before. This is this is going to be the, one of the more fascinating aspects of Thursday night because we'll see what the 49ers do. And as a as a Falcon fan, I was about to say, what do you want it for? I hope that I hope the 49ers 
take Mac Jones because now you've got the two quarterbacks sitting there in Trey Lance and Justin Fields. Somebody wants to trade up, fine. They're they're in a really good spot. I don't think Kyle Pitts helps them win immediately. Do you think they're trading Julio? Because that's been the buzz today is if, that they're they're at least listening to offers on Julio. They're in cap hell. They can't sign their rookie draft class without making a move. So Not yes, I think want. it's I think it's possible. But if they take if they trade Julio Jones and take Kyle Pitts, I think you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. But you're getting cheap. You're getting cheaper, younger, faster at the position. Sure. Obviously, one's a tight end, the other's a receiver. They're pass catchers. I don't care what you you claim them to be. Right. I think it's a possibility. Stoltz, I know you guys will probably be talking about a little bit of this coming up today on the Fast Lane. What else do you guys have today? Mostly Blues, mostly Cardinals. Great weekend for the Cardinals. We'll get BT's thoughts from a, from a starting pitching standpoint. They've, they've, they've seemingly turned things around. We've got to talk about Tyler O'Neill as mm-hmm. well. And then I heard you guys talking about it before. You you kind of coined it as the Ryan O'Reilly, not over my, my dead, dead body, body game. Yeah, yeah. game. And it was. So I'm going to ask Jamie. What was the main difference between Thursday night and Saturday? Was it just a more opportunistic Blues team, or did he pick apart some aspects on Saturday that that he liked? And you're down some defenders now, too. Colton Preco's not going to play tonight. Vince Dunn's not going to play tonight. Tory Krug's up in the air. I'm going to ask Jamie, you know, how that how do that how does that impact a team like the Blues against the Avs? Looking forward to that. That's coming up from two to six. We'll be back tomorrow at eleven, and tomorrow at ten thirty, we've got Tommy Edmond on the Danny Mac Show right here on one hundred and one ESPN. Well, Daddy always said, "Hit them where they ain't." You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise.